Hello, everyone, and welcome to Weekly Manga Recap, February 21st, 2024 edition. Uh, Quinn, how many episodes of this show do you think that there are, like, roughly speaking? Of Weekly Manga Recap? Yeah, very, very rough estimate. Uh, I'm going to say 700. Okay, is that more or less than the number of Pokemon there are? Oh, less. Pokemon hit okay. a th- Pokemon hit 1,000 in the last generation. Okay. We'll, we'll I'll start to get concerned if we ever actually get to a point where we surpass the the Pokemon the Pokedex count. Because uh, I because I mean they're still adding more. I was gonna say we have to beat Pokemon, which unfortunately is at a very you know expeditious rate. They mm-hmm. pop out new Pokemon like once yeah. every like two years or so. Sometimes even sooner than that. They literally just uh, released new Pokemon and DLC at the end of last year. I don't even know them all. <laughs> so uh, quite a lot going on there. Uh, do, do you ever get concerned, uh, you know, with the passage of time and recognizing that at some point uh, your mortal body will shuffle off of this realm and they will still be making new Pokemon? <laughs> like there, there will be Pokemon just released after your death. I you, will, kind of crazy you will to, truly never capture them all. That is kind of crazy to think about just the way that uh, video game franchises are at a point now where some of them have been going on where we're, we'll get to a point in the not too distant future where some of the most established video game franchises are going to be 50 years old. Yes. Uh, which is kind of stunning when you think about it because video games are when you consider all other popular media not very old mm-hmm. uh you know like I, I i had the thought kind of recently like oh man star wars is coming up on its 50th anniversary in just a couple of years uh but when i think about that it's like yeah but you know when i was a kid star wars was an established yeah. thing so that doesn't seem that crazy to me But the idea of something that got popular when I was a kid hitting that point is it's a definite, definitely a very different reference point to have. Uh, So I I do see your point. And yeah, a point that the sixth generation of Pokemon (laughs) games even was coming out. It was like, oh, no, this is just like a thing that is probably going to just keep on going for decades at this point because it is too popular to stop. Yeah. <laughs> I so there was like a point, I think it was like after like Age of Ultron where I had that realization with like the MCU. I was like nothing in this M- like the MCU has ended. Like everything just mm-hmm. has kept going, but there was always a, a like thought in my mind. I was like Robert Downey Jr. can only play iron man for so long like there is there is a finite limit to it but there is a point where i had to say like pikachu could be fucking eternal yeah until i am worm food (laughs) like and then at some point they'll be like what if pikachu was like a fish or something and they'll be like got it pokemon uh gray and brown ships this november everybody this will be exciting i think it'll be a little bit less weird in that regard because for the anime uh I think that this might have happened actually between this and the last 
Pokemon Adventures episode we did, maybe. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Ash is no longer the protagonist of the Pokemon anime. Mm-hmm. They finally had him like, it's like no, he his won. story is finished. Yeah. He won the Pokemon League. He achieved his dream. We're going to start a new story now because we can't just start this kid over from zero <laughs> again. <laughs> It's it it also just doesn't work. Eventually there'll be an audience that'll grow up that'll be like, I don't understand who this child is. I, this. I I he's fifty as far as I'm concerned. Little seven year olds playing on their on their switches are like, why can't he just keep go and grind somewhere until he's good enough? <laughs> Scrub. This is he uh, needs to learn the t- he needs to learn the type advantage. <laughs> Crap. Yeah. He needs his Pikachu's not very good. He should stop leaning with it or evolve it. Uh, look, this is all an elaborate intro to say that we're we're talking about Pokemon Adventures today. Uh, imagine Pokemon I Advent- imagine I was singing the theme song to Pokemon X and Y. I don't remember what it is. I don't think I ever watched it. Uh, but imagine I I sang a little chunk for for you there. Yeah. Uh, so this is something where I think you're going to need to really be m- my guide, Quinn, because, uh, yes, neither of us have watched the anime that this section of the series is related to X and Y. Uh, but you at least like played some of these yes. games and I never have. Uh, I just kind of completely fell off of playing Pokemon when I didn't really care for the fifth generation and i kind of saw the direction things were going in and i was like mm, that's not really for me and i don't have as much time in my <laughs> life to play these games anymore uh and this is also the point where they started really going for each generation has some kind of a gimmick yes like or like a a it's not always a new mechanic like a new big mechanic but it was where there was always some kind of battle thing that you could do with this one being Mega Evolutions, and then Gen 7 had Z-Moves, and then Gen 8 mm-hmm. had uh, G-Max, and the yeah. new one has Terrasilize. There's always something you could do, uh, but this was the first little sample of it, is, is uh, Mega Evolution. Uh, an attempt to make some Pokemon more viable, and as a consequence, made some of them less viable. Uh <laughs> Great game design. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I want to. I, I guess I have to preface this by saying, uh, Gen Six is probably the worst gen, uh, in my opinion. Uh, it's not my least favorite. I've I've gone to record before saying I really did not like Gen Four, um, but Gen Six really doesn't have like a high candle above it. Uh, this is the gen that added the least number of Pokemon. If you were like reading this manga, Nick, and you were curious, like, I haven't seen too many new Pokemon. No, you did pretty much see all of them. There's just not that many to show. Uh, most of the content, I guess, was just in Mega Evolutions, which was... Right. That's some Digimon shit. Get it out of here. Impermanent Evolutions? <laughs> fuck off. All right? I, I, I've seen that shit. All right? Someone else did it and better. I don't know what to tell you. Uh, and not They're, all of them got it. There's like, there's a bunch of them. Right. I'm like, this is a cool Pokemon. Why doesn't it get another level? And they're like, uh, who cares? Uh, fucking Pinsir gets a mega evolution. The main character of this story, uh, his Pokemon party, uh, he has 
one Pokemon, I think, that is of the new generation and yes. all the rest are like, no, this is to demonstrate their mega evolution. Yeah. So he very early on, like he gets a chest spin because, you know, it's that that's kind of the tradition for this series where the new protagonists, they get one of the starter Pokemon from the games. Uh -huh. So he gets a chest spin uh, and Y gets uh, a Froakie. Is that what it's called? Yep. I get confused sometimes when we read this because they always refer to the Pokemon by their names, yes. which is a nice touch. It's their a nice touch, but it makes yes. it confusing. It gets increasingly confusing for me who doesn't know what the actual Pokemon's names are. Yeah. Uh, to, to be clear, also, um, in reference to X's team that you mentioned that has only one new Pokemon on it. Uh, his team is thematically meant to be Mega Evolutions only. Yes. And there yes. were there were no Mega Evolutions for new Pokemon. They just showed up, so there was nothing, like, otherwise you'd just be like, why didn't you just give them regular evolution? Like, this was to make old Pokemon more viable and interesting. So uh, they didn't really do, like, Mega Evolutions for new stuff. So that's why his team only has the chest bin and then a bunch of other Pokemon. All of which, of course, ended up getting Mega Evolutions introduced uh, in that this series of games yes. and the premise of the story it starts off actually like go by going really hard uh because the kid's hometown just gets fucking destroyed yeah. <laughs> these these children are outcasts now they have no home to go to they're vagabonds uh so x and y x is the male lead and y is the female lead uh from the games uh, they and their friend rival characters from the games who are just their friends in, in this story, of course, are just like trying to find their way while also investigating this plot that they have been dumped into because a couple of gods decided to have a fight where they lived and blew up their hometown. Uh, they, and X has randomly basically been bequeathed with a mega stone, uh, the thing that allows you to tap into mega evolution. And there is an organization called team flare that is targeting them, trying to obtain this power uh, and is chasing them around as they're traveling around, trying to you know, solve this, uh, get to safety and figure stuff out. Uh, especially because like they're all separated from their families and stuff as well. It's unclear um, if X has a family, <laughs> Uh, he is. X doesn't even have a name. Uh, to be <laughs> yeah. clear, like why is why is short for Yvonne? Yes, like that. It's it's a it's a shortening of her name. X's name is X. <laughs> he he seems to live alone in this town. I know he had a family at some point because his family moves into town and he's like the new kid. Uh, but his parents. I don't recall her ever brought up and he's basically a shut it because the entire uh, character of X is that he is a very proficient battler at a very young age. Uh, and he won like a junior Pokemon battling tournament, which is very, very impressive with his Kangaskhan, uh, Kangaskhan, which has uh, like a mega evolution. Uh, but after the battle, a bunch of like paparazzi journalists were kind of mean and invasive to his Pokemon, so X like, internalized it. <laughs> like, very, very, very intrusively so. Like, yeah. literally, they were like, oh, let's take a picture. Oh, well, we don't want a picture of just of just the mother. The the baby is the star because, like, X's Kangaskhan, especially because the baby Kangaskhan in, in his pouch actually would, like, 
Well, that's help during battles. That's, even that's before Kank- the mega evolution. Uh, okay, yeah, I was gonna say that. That is Kangaskhan's uh, canonical mega evolution. Is the baby right. comes out, uh, which is a great mega evolution. Honestly, I think that that's like you know the thing that every six year old who saw that saw uh, was like, "What if the baby fought too?" And it's, <laughs> they were like, "Yeah, sure, hey, why not?" Um, Here you go, kids. <laughs> Uh, now we're gonna now we're gonna make Heracross suck. Uh, so, <laughs> um, but so these paparazzos were like, oh yeah, let's take a picture of the baby. Oh, it's not coming out of the mother's pouch. Come on, kid, come on, get out of there. Yeah, <laughs> like just being the worst people ever. And X was like, the world sucks, and I'm going to hide in my room. Yeah, he he internalized it, which isn't. Unfair. It's, he's probably like it's trauma eight. for a kid. Yeah, he's like eight years old. He internalizes it as his fault. He's like, no one should be my Pokemon because you'll just suffer. So he won't come out of his room. Uh, people just have to leave food for him. But he has the support of all of his friends, and his Pokemon yep. are still staying there. You know, Kangaskhan hasn't left or anything like that. Um, so he eventually does get uh conjoled out of his room again because his town's being destroyed <laughs> um, literally they have to they have to go to him and and y comes to his house and it's like x everything's being blown up and he's like leave me alone he's like no your house is gonna blow up around you <laughs> um and this becomes this defining characteristic throughout most of the series as he is like an introvert shut-in who blames himself he spends most of the series, like, as they are forced to, like, travel around the Kalos region, uh, like, they have a Rhyhorn with, like, a plank on its back, and then, like, a tent over that, and that's where X hangs out. He doesn't come out and, like, interact with characters normally for a while. He has to be, like, convinced to battle again or take on new Pokemon, which is fine. Like, this is his character's journey. Like, he, he has to learn to overcome, uh, you know, his insecurities. It doesn't make for a compelling character because no. he, he has very much like snide eleven year old energy. So he whenever does. he does pop out, it's kind of to be an asshole. And part of his thing is like, we can't trust adults. Like adults can't trust suck. Adults. You know? adults. <laughs> I mean, that's one of their. I, that's one of the rules for the for the kids actually that they all follow is like we don't trust adults at all. And it's like I mean. I, I kind of understand that there is a group of adults that are after you and you've had a few bad experiences. So I kind of get that. But it's a little bit on the nose to say, like, trust no one over 10. <laughs> it's there. I, this must be a thing in Japan. I mean, every Persona game has also done this where they're like, aren't adults kind of sucks and like <laughs> we shouldn't trust them because it's not a lesson these kids learn. They do not learn to trust adults by the end of the series. In fact, they very no. poignantly at the end of the series are offered to go to a party with adults. And again, X kind of trots out his fucking shithead energy and he's like, Maybe instead of having a party, you adults should figure out a way to fix things. Let's go, gang. And you're like, these people have been saving your lives. <laughs> like, come on, give them something. <laughs> like, these are the good ones. But, yeah, whatever. Um, Most of the supporting cast outside of the kids is adults. And, of course, you know, because, like, you know, the gym leaders, just like in every series, like, are trying to help them out. And there is one gym leader that you could say is around their age. Uh, yeah, so, and he gets crushed by a tree at one point, which was very funny to me because I was like, "That child's dead." I guess I was like, "He's maybe dead. maybe two. It depends. It depends on how old Karina is, but but yeah. whatever." So. Um. So 
the story from there is very kind of firmly about just Team Flare uh, and then legendary Pokemon. Uh, it's, you know, team, it's the, essentially the plot of X and Y, from what I remember, X and Y also famously has like kind of a complicated, stupid story that like didn't after gen five had like a really interesting story and like kind of dug into like themes of like, you know, what is a Pokemon trainer relationship really? And, you know, like right. Frida, all these sorts of things that were like kind of intriguing to see Pokemon tackle. This one was like, what if a guy thought things could be beautiful and for him that means killing everybody and you're like what if a guy tried to be good but realized wait charity doesn't work i'll destroy the world instead (laughs) (laughs) it's it's lysander is not um good and (laughs) i don't really know a nicer way to say it than that uh he is he is the leader of probably the worst team in the game uh, Team Flare sucks. They're boring. They have nothing iconic I, about them. They're just a bunch of losers. I, I was going through this and I was like, thank God this series, deci- the story decided to make Malva of the Elite Four be part of Team Flare because I would not be able to tell any of these people apart otherwise. Yeah. <laughs> They're just all people in stupid masks that don't have, in- they don't have interesting or unique designs. Yeah. I hate them. There's also uh, a, like an OC original character design for the games called like uh, Eccentria or something like that. Like some straight up fucking Power Rangers ass villain name that I was like, who the fuck is this? It's like a reveal. Is that the one with the giant yeah is that the giant e over the face yeah the, the one who's like in a hypnotized robot suit who you find out halfway through they're like who is eccentria and then they reveal right. who it is and i'm like this is also nobody <laughs> I, don't, I don't remember this you ran a side character from the games i'm sorry <laughs> um so very very uh sort of silly stuff going on there is malva canonically a flare member in the games i don't recall that because i thought all of the Team Flare stuff was done by the Elite Four. It would have been great if she shows up and she just has a mustache on the Elite Four badge. She's <laughs> like, I didn't see you before. No. <laughs> Someone, I'm Schmalva. I'm a different traitor. Um, it is worth noting. That was, that was, by the way, one of the weird parts of reading through this was that there is like no Pokemon journey yes. that, that happens in this. They do it's not. all like. Out. No gym battles, no Elite Four stuff. It's like all the characters from the games are just like all participating in different sides of the Team Flare world domination plot. Uh, and they're just, they just kind of all filter their way in, which honestly did like I, I really missed like having that structure to this part of the story to kind of provide another level of familiarity and progression to it. Uh, they do like encounter the gym leaders, you know, every now and again, like, oh, you know, this one shows up, this one shows up. But then like it they, they, just gets to a point where it's like, like the other gym leaders are on their way to help. And yeah. that's just kind of it. They encounter like three of the gym leaders three. and then everyone else is kind of a cameo who shows up like Grant shows up and you're like, oh, he shows up like three or four times. Surely he's more important than like Ramos and Wolfrin who show up at the very end. You're like, no, they don't do anything yeah. with Grant. He doesn't contribute anything he's just in like two more scenes than they are or whatever and it's there's like the same thing i forget i don't even remember her name she's the fairy type gym leader and then there's like olympia who i think was the psychic type gym leader they right. show up and again like a cameo early on they're like the gym leaders are here to help and they just like cut over to them and you're like okay who the f- 
Like, I, assuming I never played the game, who are these people? Like, I don't, I don't know. This this gen didn't have very memorable gym leaders, so it doesn't help that this is the way they're going on. And I think this also is like a little bit of a time to discuss character motivations, which is to say, yeah. everyone. Uh, so, other two leads. Uh, X yes. has no motivation really. He is he he is right. he is going through uh, an emotional character arc of learning to trust uh, uh, that he is worthy of his Pokemon again, and then eventually, uh, very uh, MacGuffin-y realizes I need to construct a team of all Mega Evolution Pokemon. Which uh, they find a list for some of it, but sometimes he also just has a sixth sense where he's like, "That Pokemon Mega evolves. I know it. <laughs> like, this- he'll catch it." This entire series really does feel like this. This is the most like tie in manga story arc. It feels like for Pokemon Adventures because it is all about here is how mega evolutions work. These are the conditions to do it. You need this item and this item and there has to be a strong bond between the trainer and Pokemon. You can only do it with one Pokemon at a time. So you can't try and do it multiple times. It won't work that way. Also, this is the list of Pokemon that can mega evolve. Also, some Pokemon's abilities change when they mega evolve. Yeah. Also, like, just... there, there is quite a lot of that. Um, why wants to be a sky battler which i don't this was re- so confusing to me i don't recall this being a thing in the games at all but it's also the element of the story that probably gets the most focus so i'm i'm like okay with it it's something it's confusing but it's something uh so her whole thing is that uh, her mother grace uh who is the Pokemon of, of the generation. I, I, I remember learning that at some point, uh, probably because, I don't know, girls think people, not girls, people think that Pokemon moms are, are attractive. Uh, anyway, so uh, she is a famous Rhyhorn racer. Oh my God, this was a thing from X and Y. Holy shit, I do not remember this at all. Sky battles. Okay, so she, you know, has... She rides on Rhyhorns, which, of course, are these big, heavy rock rhinoceroses that have been around for, since the first generation of games. Uh, and she got really, really, really popular at this because of how prolific she was at it to the point that, like, she was, like, you know, getting interviews and magazine appearances and it was a celebrity. And so why benefit off of that? But really did not want to follow in her mother's footsteps. And so she basically went in as far the opposite direction as she possibly could and was like, I'm going to be a sky trainer. And a sky trainer is someone who wears a glide suit and battles while flying through the air or gliding through the air alongside their Pokemon. Uh, So it's like, you know, my mom would race on the ground, so I will fly through the air instead because I don't want to be just her daughter. And... There is a whole thing in this that, you know, first off, a big part of it is why kind of coming to terms with her relationship with her mother and how her mother wasn't trying to force this on her. She was trying to share it with her and how she can follow her own path while not completely, you know, pushing her mother away. But there's also this big classist element to it where like when Y is going to sky trainer training school she has this big she's like getting bullied in in school and stuff because she's like nouveau she's getting nouveau rich accusations and stuff 
Uh, so it's like, oh, you should stay on the ground. And like her bullies are very thematic in their bullying. They're like, oh, looks like you dropped it. You better pick it up off the ground, which is where you belong, Rhyhorn Racer Girl. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, she she at least has something to go with in her story, even if her care like the Pokemon they give her don't a hundred percent make sense. Eventually they're like you need a Mega Evolution Pokemon. And oops, I guess we forgot to give you like like Mega Pidgeot or what. I don't even remember if there is a Mega Pidgeot or whatever. But they, they're like, we don't have a flying type. So you need Mega Absol because, <laughs> because we have to show up Mega Absol at some point. And also you need a legendary Pokemon. So instead of getting you the one legendary Pokemon of this gen that canonically can fly, you get the big like life deer <laughs> or something. And you're just like... All right, fair enough. Whatever. She at least has some kind of character development to her. She gets a couple scenes. There's actually like a scene where she has to do like a sky battle against like yes. 50 people. And it's actually probably yeah. one of the coolest scenes in this. It's one series. of the most memorable parts. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the other friends uh, in this are just as worthless as they are in uh, the actual games. There is nothing. Uh, Shauna so gets something or Shayna. She gets something. Shauna gets a plot. Yeah. Uh, but she is. She's there. Like all, she all does. of them are just there. To be very clear, she well, she has. I feel like the least defined role for like the balance of the group that they're in. She very much feels like she's just kind of going along, and she hates it. Uh, her big thing is that she wants to be. A furfro uh, groomer. Yes, a, uh, a, mecha like, a mechanic it, from X and Y. <laughs> I was like, this is so specific, but it has to be a thing. Like, <laughs> it, 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 just... it was that that Pokemon's sole defining characteristic is you could take it to a salon and you can give it like funny little designs. Not as cool as the ones in the manga. The manga fucked up and put way cooler designs out there for it. If I recall, you basically just get to carve like fucking Lucky Charms ass shapes into it like a green square. This is my green square for yeah, <laughs> I feel kind of bad because like that's her whole thing is like this is my dream and this is what I want to do. And it's like, yeah, but they're homeless and on the run for the entire story and she's separated from her yeah, fur friend. I was gonna so say what did she do? The most cruel thing this series does is separate this child from her Pokemon for the whole series. They don't get they don't the reunite. <laughs> And she gets it back in the yeah. epilogue. That's it. That's I, it. <laughs> I kept waiting for this furfro to show back up into the story and like help this poor girl out at some point because she does get a plot line where she gets like hypnotized by a Haunage yeah. basically and is forced to like kind of act against her team and like she carries guilt about that afterwards. And I kept yeah. waiting for this furfro to show back up and help her, but it never does. <laughs> they just How satisfying would have been. Yeah, yeah. How satisfying would it have been if, like, at the very end when she's having... Because each of the three of them have these battles against, like, one of Team Flare's executives while the big final battle is going on. And how satisfying would it have been if instead of, like, oh, a Lucario that someone loaned her protects her with its aura from being hypnotized, if, yeah, her furfro shows up and that's, like, what saves the day and stuff. It would have been really nice to, to have that reunion instead of just, like, oh, we found your furfro. Here you go. Yeah. And that's just <laughs> the only addressing it gets. Yeah, there's, there's a lot of that. Uh, there's the one kid. I do not remember his name. 
Uh, but he is the one who wants to become a Pokemon professor, I think, or assistant, Trevor. essentially, Trevor. Uh, he's he's Mr. Exposition. He helps yeah. X figure out how Mega Evolution works. Yeah, uh, that's they, they give him a little bit of something. But the one character uh, who I always he sucked into games that he sucks in here is Turno, whose entire thing is like, I want to be a Pokemon dancer, uh, which to my knowledge was not really a thing in the games. There may have been some mini game that I'm forgetting or something like that. Uh, but he doesn't like he says it in the in the, the manga. He's like, my dream is become a Pokemon uh, dancer champion or whatever. And like uh, his epilogue shows him doing it. Uh, he at no point in the story uses his dancing skills to accomplish anything. Not even like, oh, he tries to. And then they realize that's stupid. Nothing happens. Just it never is relevant. He is just the guy who is there for all the journey in the way that Gen 6 just had you have four rivals for some stupid reason. Uh, so tremendous. Annoyance. I disagree with you a little bit. OK, I, I, I feel like he got a couple of good moments because uh, he's kind of portrayed as like the one with the understanding heart basically like he's the one who has the most patience for x while also telling him you need to get the fuck out of your fucking tent come on <laughs> um and uh he does do like his whole dancing acrobatic stuff a couple of times unfortunately it really feels like despite the fact that this is very easily the pokemon adventure story that has the most characters in the main party it feels like it has the least story for them to go around because this feels like it is just x's story and like everyone else is just kind of along with it and a few bones get tossed to y every now and again but it feels like there's a really heavy imbalance between them when you consider that the main mechanic of the games is mega evolution and x is the one who gets to have all the mega evolutions <laughs> Like it is intrinsically like imbalanced towards him. And I think that he is the worst protagonist out of like the main adventure stories that we've read so far. Uh, he's just because like I understand like the entire premise of the story is he's already talented. He needs to relearn to believe in himself and in other people. The, the, this is a Stella has to get her groove back kind of story. Right. You know, he, he, it's not a matter of like, hey, you'll see how this kid, you know, like grows up and rises to the occasion. Like, no, he's always been great. He just needs to remember. It's like, ah, I don't know. It's just not as fun. And he's very gloomy. Uh, so uh, I was uh, I didn't really have any expectations going into this story. And uh, I thought that it started off kind of interesting just because it's a very different sort of beginning. And then it feels like. Stuff just kind of happens and it wasn't nostalgic for me. And I feel like I would have had to be nostalgic to really enjoy it. Uh, so a bit disappointing. Yeah, I mean, there's there's a lot of it, too. That's just like there weren't a lot of new Pokemon in this gen for them to do cool things with. So it, there's like rarely a chapter where it's like, oh, I've got to battle this cool new Pokemon with its cool new like thing or whatever. There's like a lot of like references to him one of my favorite is like a flashback to the evil scientist guy who has uh, i forget the name of its full evolution i think it's like malam something malamar that's not his full name but something like that it's like the squid thing and uh he's like 
oh, I can't, you know, I'm, I, I don't know if I can proceed with this. I have like morals, and, uh, you know, I have like uh, ethical guidance. I'm trying to figure this all out. Also, my inke won't evolve. Uh, I've been trying to do everything to figure out how to do it. And Lysander walks up. He's like, hmm. Aha! Sometimes you just turn it upside down and it evolves. And I'm like, I know that's how that fucking stupid ass Pokemon evolves in the game, but this is so heavy handed as a way to put that into the manga. Oh, Quinn, if you think that heavy handedness is a problem, wait until we talk a little bit later today. Today, uh, Also, I think there was one thing that I did recognize because I recognize a few of the characters in the game uh, from the game. Like uh, Alexa, the photographer, the first gym leader one, which, by the way, there's like a weird, I think. Alexa is her sister, right? Viola, the photographer. There's a whole like journalism thing going on in this story. That's very weird. Uh, So there is, of course, the fact that Alexa and Viola are like a photographer and a reporter. Uh, so they're part of the media. So there's a whole thing where like Alexa is trying to like expose this plot that she's trying to uncover, and it turns out that Team Flare has infiltrated the media, and Malva is a news presenter and stuff, and so they are covering up the whole story with this big conspiracy. But there's also the fact that the paparazzi were the people that traumatized X by causing problems with him and and his Kangaskhan. So. There's this just this kind of like weird take on like corruption and journalism going on in the story uh, that I found to be a little bit weird. Um, and I don't know what the point of it was. Ultimately, <laughs> we yeah. just team flares infiltrate the media. That's it. Yeah, there's, there's a lot that's like team flare is actually the most dangerous team because they have uh, people everywhere. And there actually is supposed to be like kind of like a theme of like paranoia and kind of loneliness for our protagonists. Like they, they're like, we can't go out in public cause we'll be seen. You know, they try to rest in, in early on and they're immediately betrayed by the adult who works there. Who's like, I'm trading, handing you over to team flair and all sorts of stuff. Um, so like there is this level that's like, that was a, again, like in the games again, I, I might be mistaken. Um, but I just recall Team Flair being like annoyingly obvious when they were involved because they all wear bright red suits. But I'm also wrong on things. I mentioned before that I thought Emma and Essentia were like a, a like a fan original OC shit. Apparently that's a post game thing that I just do not remember whatsoever at all. Um, so maybe this was a thing in the games that I just do not remember. Um, but it doesn't do a ton. Uh, there is an element of the regional champion, Diancy, I want to say is her name or something like that, who I always have thought is like the worst champion. She's just very Diantha, Diantha, very like forgettable. Like her whole gimmick was that she's supposed to be like uh, an actress, an actress. And they kind of hint that like, ah, yes, you would have remembered back in your early roles when like, there's actually one cool scene early on where she stops Lysander from like hurting the kids and like kind of a terrifying scene. Cause he just surrounds them with Pokemon in a bar and he's just like, yeah, I was just going to talk to him. And she's like, why don't you get the fuck out of here? Uh, and then he says something kind of like mysterious, like, you know, about her acting career, but it's never brought up again. And her role in the story, she is the most, like, defeatable champion I have ever seen. She spends this entire series just getting clowned by everyone else. She does not look cool after that moment. 
I think that's another thing is that, yeah, there is always kind of been a sense in the Pokemon Adventures manga of like, there are certain trainers that show up and you're like, oh, no, this person is not to be fucked with. Uh, and everyone, yes, is very fuck withable in this entire story. <laughs> Villains, champions, gym leaders, everyone uh, is just like, well, okay. Uh, they're not all that cool. <laughs> yeah, they, they get their shit handed in uh, pretty frequently. This is brutal. This is the first time I think I had to read Scanlations to buy the full uh, volumes just because I had trouble finding them. Um, and I think there are some elements of like blood kind of being censored out that maybe I just didn't notice before. And now I'm seeing it now because it seemed like more violent than what I was thinking. Uh, a couple of people sure would die in this. So <laughs> yeah, uh, if you were a huge uh, Malva Lysander shipper, I've got some bad news for you. <laughs> Doesn't end up or going good news. You. Yeah, <laughs> or yeah, actually, I've got some great material for you to work with in your next couple AU's. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's there's definitely a couple elements that are like, yeah, no one actually seems that cool in this series um the kids hate the adults and then that kind of almost passes on to you the reader because that's just how the narrative goes You're like yo these adults suck they're constantly losing they should stop doing that uh they have to connect uh mega mewtwo into the story at some point so green and blaine show up for a little bit and you're just like look i know this is ultimately also a way to connect this into i think alpha sapphire and omega ruby which right. i think are coming out next um but, like, it's so jarring. It's out of nowhere. Mewtwo is not important either. Mewtwo gets his shit pushed in eventually. It's just one of these things you're like, yeah, this is this is fine. But this this very much feels like you are, like, um, I don't know how to say it. Just beholden to Pokemon's, like, game design at this point. And, like, originality is, is, feels very uh, tenuous at this point. Uh, like, hey, I got to talk about Mega Evolution. So let me make sure I get every Mega Evolution possible. There's yeah. like side chapters where they're just like, we didn't show you Mega Alakazam and Mega Scizor and, and, and fucking Mega uh, Camerupt. Here they are. They're all here. All your friends are here. And I'm, it's just like, it, it's almost embarrassing. <laughs> it's, uh, yeah, I think it also has to do with the pace that the manga now has to take in order to keep pace with the game releases uh because this story is like you know 48 chapters ish uh so that's you know when you consider the amount of stuff that has to happen and the number of characters that have to be introduced from the generation that's not a lot of time um and it does feel like going through a checklist at certain points and it might just be a matter of like look this is the sixth mainline story that we're going through for this point. And there's only so many different plots you can get. But the other possibility, uh, since Quinn, you seem to be of the opinion that this, that this is just not a very good uh, no, series of games. Maybe there just was not a lot of story to like be mined from the source material. Maybe, maybe sun and moon will be better. Uh, <laughs> so there Parts of it could be. <laughs> uh, I'll be honest. I don't think there's a great story in Pokemon since then. Um, there's cool moments and stuff like that for them to work on. I think I'm more excited for them to have more Pokemon to work with. I think that yeah. was a big issue just missing here. Is it was just like, oh, there's like 
no new Pokemon in this. They're really just kind of hanging yeah. around with some old guys again. And like, yeah, someone... you can't have as you can't have as many Monster of the Week stories of like, oh, we had a weird uh, encounter with a weird Pokemon, and that's just kind of what happened this chapter. Yeah. So, um, I think this is not awful, but I like if you're gonna read Pokemon Adventures, I feel like this is just the part you'd be like, yeah, I kind of had to work through this. Like, I don't know. Look, I'm also old as shit at this point. In terms of Pokemon, I'm ancient. I'm a Pokemon boomer, you know? I was 10 years old when the first games came out. So at this point, I also don't really have nostalgia for these <laughs> games the same way anymore. Like, I think Gen 5 is kind of the last one I could hold, like, nostalgia for. Because, like, oh, this was, like, I reviewed this for Blistered Thumbs back in the day. Oh, this isn't this, like, nostalgic and cool. And this one, I'm like, ah, I remember I bought this when I was 27 and and <laughs> played it for the first time or whatever and you're just like yeah maybe <laughs> maybe it's just a different kind of vibe and stuff like that i guess the one thing maybe. i will I, the one thing i will say i appreciate is there wasn't enough chapters for them to be like ah shit we have to add like the extra fucking super legendary pokemon we didn't have time for like i think we gotta, get the, we gotta get the other four legendaries in there come on guys yeah i think like i think this is the first gen that started having dlc for the games um or maybe it was gen 7 but i want to say it was 6 had like volcarona or whatever and, and st shit like that hoopla and they didn't add chapters for those at all so i was eternally grateful to that as somebody who just doesn't even think of those as real pokemon cool i don't even know what those are so <laughs> excellent uh we're all right we're, we're both uh you know uh predator handshake fuck hoopla <laughs> <laughs> Yours comes with like a little speech bubble. It's like, what's a hoopla? What's a <laughs> Volcanion. Uh, Volcanion, sorry. Yeah, how can I get Volcarona and Volcanion mixed up? What a B -b 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 fucking idiot I am. I fucking hate this stupid franchise. We need to start doing Pokemon <laughs> Hunker games. We need to start, you know, like calling the herb a little bit. <laughs> Oh my god, okay. We got Maga to talk about Quinn, so let's get through some of these. Starting with My Hero Academia, chapter 414, Overlay. Uh, so Deku is enacting this uh, crazy plan to forcefully transfer, one for all, to Shigaraki in an effort to break through his weird personality shell. Uh, and in order to do this, um, Black Whip is just kind of like manifesting all throughout his body and kind of puppeting it and reinforcing his limbs while also a bunch of tendrils come out of him. He looks uh, very scary and uh, demonic. Uh, so he is fighting with Shigaraki. They kind of recap what they need to do in order to make this transfer work. Uh, they also indicate that like a big problem here is that Shigaraki's got to receive one for all through bodily fluids, which means he's got to be wounded uh, and he regenerates his injuries very, very quickly. The only reason that uh, something worked before is because like, oh, his hand got chopped off before. So, yeah, we got to do this thing. So. Uh, Shigaraki and Deku fly towards each other. Rather, Shigaraki flies towards the ground and Deku goes after him. And uh, they're both like, all right, this is where it's going to happen. I'm going to kill you. And Deku's like, I'm going to transfer the quirk. 
uh, and Deku launches out a big blast of uh, smoke screen. And, and so Shigaraki's like, oh, that's that's fine. It doesn't, it doesn't matter. And he, he goes to, and hits the ground and starts decaying it. Uh, and it turns out that Deku had previously sent a bunch of tendrils through the ground underneath the earth. And he just lifts the entire chunk of the earth off the ground before it can spread to the planet at large. So it's like, yeah, that's fine. You can you can go through that. Uh, then he goes through the smoke screen to attack Shigaraki. Shigaraki thinks that he spider senses him, but instead, uh, it's just uh, it's just his scarf. He used it as a decoy, similar to how he used it as a decoy during his fight with Lady Nagant. Uh, and so, so you guys like, wait, what the hell? But 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 my freaking search quirk that I have was going towards this, and then you realize like, oh, there's blood on the thing. Why is my search zeroed in on the blood? And so it turns out this is all like a big gamble because like, oh, we're preparing for the transferring of it. So actually the quirk is manifesting inside of your blood at this point. Uh, and this all leads to an opening where Deku is able to punch Shigaraki really, really hard in the ribs. And uh, yeah, so freaking part of the one of the vessels gets transferred to Shigaraki and immediately like shatters into his inner inner world shell while also shigaraki's body gets goes ow because there's a big concave indent in it also he's got fingers everywhere uh because uh he's growing them everywhere because he's mutating like that he kind of made a i think an emergency body armor for himself it seems like and then things start to get extra trippy because their thoughts start to transfer into each other. And so both Shigaraki and Deku start to experience a mix of the other's memories. Uh, so like Shigaraki remembers meeting Dabi and Toga. Deku remembers his fight with Todoroki. And Shigaraki also remembers meeting Spinner. And they're all kind of mixing and blending together. Uh, and Deku is just told like, hey, you know, like you, you, you started it, but you can't let up here. You've got to keep on going. Uh, and that's just where we leave things off in the middle of all that action. Yeah, I mean, um, it's sort of satisfying in that the entire plan of like, hey, we got to start getting, you know, we got to start shooting ourselves into Chikaraki essentially takes the span of like a chapter to accomplish. It's not somewhere he's just like, Pating! And it like happens. I think yeah. it's actually cool that it's like actually a you know an enduring challenge to get up there and start you know confronting him and finally landing a hit you know against this dangerous opponent. Uh, and I do think it's kind of cool that like their memories are just bleeding together because there was a moment I was like, did Spinner show up during the UA tournament uh, sports festival? Hey, I'm here like, too. I, don't, <laughs> you know, I was like, I don't. I don't go to the school, but I'd like to participate too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, let's do this. Uh, I'm like, oh, interesting. But I, I do think it was satisfying. Um, and I'm just curious to see what they do as they blend a little bit more. Um, I thought this was cool. Yeah, and I think that the actual sequence of getting it to happen is is just a really nicely choreographed thing that happens. I love the visual of all the earth being ripped up out of the ground to stop Shigaraki's decay from spreading. Yeah. So it's, you know, it's got a nice flow to it and some good action. Yeah. And that'll bring us to Undead Unluck. Yeah, Nick, let's talk about Undead Unluck number 195 on your mark. So we start in a flashback as Top is learning about what Unbreakable is at this point. And he's like, oh, you can make things that never break. Why are you using that amazing ability to make shoes? 
And Arika has this room made of shoes. And I think this is genuinely one of the sweetest things I've seen in this series. It's, it's just very like, cute. We're not in war, so I don't want to, like, make things to hurt people. I want to make things that are, like, really useful for people's lives. And, like, I feel like shoes are an amazing thing, considering how frequently they break down and become unusable and how expensive they can be. It's very, very nice. Mm-hmm. And she's like, I'm going to make unbreakable shoes for people. Uh, but Top points out, he's like, kind of feel like this would just make you a target for bad guys. Like... Someone would probably just abduct you and force you to make weapons for the rest of your life. And she's like, oh, no, I don't want that. Don't say giant, things to scare me. <laughs> giant muscle clad Harka going. Yeah. <laughs> oh. <laughs> she's uh, very, very adorable. Uh, we leave the flashback. Cut to the present. Hey, we have our three people. They're going to fight against UMA Beast. Top showed up, kicked uh, uh, UMA Beast in the head. And he's just like, yeah, you're one of these rules, these UMAs, right? Haruka's told me about them. All right, fine. Let's stop this. We don't, you know, we're not going to get on your turf anymore. We're not going to croach on you. So if we pull out, you just let us off the hook. Like, you know, let bygones be bygones. You guys will have your territory and we'll leave. This works out. Uh, hey, you beast. We cool? Yeah. We cool? We cool, bud? <laughs> hey, bud? <laughs> we good? Uh, of course, uh, Beast just turns into a snake and immediately tries to bite him. And he's like, oh, you're under a very mistaken assumption here. We are not here to coexist with you. Beasts exist to make humans suffer. And he's like, you don't, you don't think that you're a product of nature, do you? And Top's like, well, from evolution, like, we all have come from the water. We're all from nature. Oh, <laughs> He's like, fuck that I'll noise. The dinosaurs in the ground to fuck with you. <laughs> He's like, this world began with man and earth. And every rule that has been added has been added to make your lives fucking worse. Because God wants to see what happens. We added death. And it made you guys panic. We had a jealousy or we had a change and you guys started getting jealous. We added uh, justice and suddenly there was conflict. War began slaughter. All of this is just to make your lives worse. But then we added beasts and you guys had an opponent that wasn't just each other. And we just hunt out of survival and you guys have always hidden from us. You know, there isn't a single rule that is designed to aid your survival. And as mentioned, this does seem to indicate many of the rules that we've seen at the round table. Uh, death and change. We already know change uh, and uh, war does seem to be that. <laughs> the tank guy. Some, some of them do seem to match up very well, especially the order he lists them in. If you imagine that one gets skipped here then uh like that would make uh the third seat change of course that makes sense then fourth seat is luck and if you look closely at their design they've got what looks like like a wheel of fortune as their halo uh justice would be a knight which makes sense and of course war is the half skull faced military guy (laughs) with guns so it's like it feels like he lists things in the order that they're in especially because he goes on to himself the eighth rule uh straight from there yeah so yeah it's it it, it seems to make sense and it's the ninth rule i think language is above oh like it's language eight okay well i think so maybe he's just like no language is a dork she doesn't count (laughs) (laughs) she blows a hater um 
But they're basically just noting like, hey, uh, all these rules are here to fuck with you. And suddenly tigers just jump out of the forest and Haruka, uh, or not Haruka, uh, Julia and Top are like, why are there tigers here? There shouldn't be tigers here. Uh, and he's just uh, being Why don't they have stripes? Yeah. <laughs> Well, these are tigers without stripes. Nick, a tiger has to earn their stripes first. Maybe that's... Hey! Yeah. Uh, Beast just... We haven't added UMA stripe yet. Yeah. <laughs> we haven't added UMA honor yet. Uh, Beast is just like, yeah, you shouldn't have passed on all of those quests because all that has done is just allowed us to add, like, more more beasts, essentially. And it's just added more fuel for me to beat you guys. How does it feel to be hunted? And he kind of just taunts and does all of his things. Uh, and Fuko shoots him in the back three times. She's like, boom, take this bitch. Uh, and she just knows. She's like, hey, it's not like we've been losing this whole time. We realize we're not in this together. So we team up. You know, we get weapons. We fight back. And she shouts at the top. She's like, top, my bad bullet touched him. Get out of here. Meteorite is on his way. Uh, and then Beast just jumps up and grabs her by the face. He goes, didn't touch me. <laughs> and he reveals that he ate a piece of Haruka and has assimilated her power of Unbreakable. Confirming. I love this because, uh, we, uh, well, yes, as you were, sorry, as you were going to say, uh, that how his powers work, which is by eating things. Yeah. So uh, we, we did see a preview of that when he ate a uh, snake earlier. Uh, like I mentioned a couple of chapters ago, uh, just being able to see the way that like the action progresses in order to set up like how uh, Fuko's powers affect Top because he touched her at this one point and, and so on. If you go back and look at it, there is a moment where, right after the tiger's attack where he has called one of them over to him. He's kind of looking, he's kind of petting on the head, but he's also taking something out of its mouth. And then he puts it, it's hanging in his mouth right before Fuko shoots him. And so you can see that he's got a little bit of her blood, a little bit of her flesh in that moment before he gets shot to explain why he's able to absorb the power. It's just, you know, like really nice attention to detail to see how things uh, are set up in the flow of the combat. Yeah. So it looks really bad. Uh, Haruka is kind of like, I guess, still pretty hurt from before because Melee Top is like, Haruka, hang in there. And... Beast just taunts. He's just like, you know, it's really, really good that Unbreakable was here because she's the one who I wanted to eat the most. Like with this, I can absolutely guarantee the error of man is over. Beast will reign supreme. I'm untouchable now at this point, basically. Uh, he doesn't say that because if he did, you'd be like, oh, Tatiana. Uh, but he is basically thanking uh, Unbreakable for showing up because now he's become the strongest rule around. And Julia gets up. She's like, Top, you should run. I'll, ha- I'll hold him. But Top's like, hey, what a hero. Yeah. She's so good. <laughs> yeah, she's immediately trying to like, uh, you know, be like, I'll hold him back. You go. But Top is like, no, you win, Beast. Please let us off the hook. And he gets down on his hands and knees and starts begging for his life. Uh, as uh, Beast is like, pathetic. This is very human of you. Uh, and we start to go back to that that flashback conversation between Haruka and Top. As Top continues, he's like, So if anyone ever tries to take your Unbreakable by force, I'll kick the crap out of them. I do owe you after all. And that's when he does his psych moment, and he, you know, he uses this moment where he's down on all fours. It is the nineties. <laughs> yeah, uh, he uses it to, to get in his position, uh, and he, he dashes straight into uh, UMA Beast. 
And we end the chapter in like a two-page spread of that as he says, Haruka's unbreakable or you're unbreakable. Let's see which is stronger, Beast. Yeah, it's very nice. Uh, you know, Top flirting to, you know, be a person who helps other people uh, through this combat. Uh, I'm going to, I think, I guess I kind of officially just say, I was like, all right, fine. If you're going to actually build up the ship, then I'll actually be okay with this. <laughs> oh, bump, I guess this is fine. Fine. But, top and, and, but they were boyfriends in the previous loop. Yeah. You can't stop me from believing that. <laughs> they went on many cute dates together, and that's what I'm going to write about. And then they died when the sun came in. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, um, a chapter, I think. Was, I love Beast's speech uh, in this. It's This is like a really scary moment uh, for once in, in this loop. Like, it's always felt like, you know, even when Sick showed up, it's like, the entire council is here. They'll be fine. <laughs> but... When it's just three of them against this guy, and he is just throwing Fuku around, summoning these monsters to tear them apart, and mocking them with how uh, the entire world is designed to make them suffer. This is a really great escalation. Uh, and I thought that it was a great, just like, no, no, this is just like an entire, like, in detail explanation of what has been the ethos of the series the entire time. Uh, but to get it, now we're getting really into the nitty gritty of like, no, no, it was a plan to fuck over humanity from the start. Yeah. Yeah, I liked uh, it. I liked it a lot. Uh, but we'll, let's talk about Blue Box. Yeah, yeah. Chapter 137, The Guy Who Carried Her. Uh, so it's the prefectural qualifiers for high school badminton nationals. And uh, we are reiterated that there are only going to be two winners who will qualify to get to go to the nationals. Uh, and we get, you know, like Haru and Taiki. And of course we also know that, uh, you know, Yusa is, is, is one of the front runners too. Haruto doesn't get to be uh, in, in the split panel. Sorry, kid. Uh, <laughs> you're not considered one of the, the favorites. Um, so, Taiki is kind of like, you know, like gathering around with, uh, his teammates and then they spot that Sajikawa has showed up at this point as well. Yusa just passes right by all of them along with his teammates, you know, not looking at anyone. And uh, they kind of realize, like, yeah, he's kind of like, you know, really, really just like focused on everything. Although Haruto says, like, he was humming this morning. Like, humming? Yeah. And Kyo. Kyo. Just Kyo. Like, yeah, he, sounds like, he sounds like he's relaxed. And it's like, yeah, he doesn't he doesn't get nervous. So he's he's not he's just, you know, like looking forward to this, basically. Uh he's very confident. Uh we get a quick montage of like, you know, like the first round starting and stuff, and then cut into the crowd where uh Chinatsu has shown up with Karen. And uh she was, you know, a little bit worried about her leg, but she's she's like, It's fine, it's all wrapped up and and, and Karen's like, okay, but if it starts to hurt, I don't know what he'll say to me. So <laughs> basically, like, I'm I'm tasked with think, making sure you don't overdo it right now. So cool it. Um, Chinatsu looks at the kids playing badminton and says, the tournament vibe feels different between badminton and basketball. Yeah? Yeah, with basketball, it feels red. 
Jatsu's like, isn't I, that because the ball's red? It's like, the ball's orange. <laughs> I uh, love that uh, they have just like a brief moment of synthesia <laughs> where I was like, oh, this is an interesting little character detail. Yeah, Jinatsu's saying like, yeah, basketball, the, the attitude feels red and with Batman it feels yellow, which is like, but is that because the ball is red? Is it- Basketballs are orange. (laughs) She's like, you're an idiot. Oh, my God. (laughs) And it's like, you know, it would make sense. It would actually make a lot of sense if that's part of like Chidatsu has always seemed to have a kind of interesting way of kind of viewing everything. And you're like, yeah, I think some level of, uh, you know, neuro atypical. What's 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 the verb? neurodivergence uh would be yeah. involved in all of that so uh i just that's if if it's not intentional it's definitely a fun headcanon now mm. uh a, a lot of people observe the two beautiful girls that have come to this random boys high school badminton tournament they're like <laughs> cute girls <laughs> uh, some of the people from uh, Aime recognized like, oh yeah, that's that's Kano Senpai, and and also the girl with her is Haru Senpai's girlfriend, so, and they're best friends, so they probably came to cheer him together. Uh, and uh, so they look around, and then uh, someone says like, wait a minute, what if the guy who carried Chinatsu before was Haru Senpai, and it's one of Akari's friends that they're hanging out with? Oh my god, can you imagine that? And Akari. This is, I guess, just like in- increasingly becoming her thing. Just her wild imagination of specifically adultery. Like <laughs> she, she has wild uh, visions that she goes on <laughs> of like so, wild romances that never happened. <laughs> so, like, she imagines Haru like giving Chinatsu a piggyback ride, and Chinatsu going like, "It wouldn't be fair to carry this <laughs> piggyback ride." <laughs> Uh, and so they're like, oh, this is wrong, but let's stay like this and go somewhere together. And they're like, go to like a freaking Shinto temple, the Statue of Liberty, the pyramids of Egypt. Oh, and a car is like, I don't think Kenosepai would go on some trip like that. I, I love and He's got the little fucking like the little up down nose. Jojo like, sparkle, yeah, yeah, the little nose and everything like that. It's just very funny. <laughs> And I was like, what are you talking about? <laughs> like, what are you, where did you go? This is some, like, JD from Scrubs moment where he just goes back. He's like, where will we get the tapioca? And they're like, what the fuck are you talking about? We didn't see what you saw. We found a Quinn, the good parts of a remake that died in chapter 20. You came back. <laughs> Someone had to carry that torch. Uh, and... Chinatsu and Karen run into Ayame, who, of course, is there as the team's manager. Uh, and she's like, oh, yeah, an anime match is about to start. And it's, of course, it's between Taiki and uh, someone from another high school. And they're like, oh, let's go cheer for him. And so, you know, Chinatsu is watching and stuff. And, and they're like, oh, wow. Yeah, it's kind of the even like, you know, the girls are like, oh, it's kind of weird how like we get nervous when we're just watching stuff. It's just kind of like a human thing of like, oh, we're getting invested in this, you know, in our in our teammates and stuff, our classmates. Uh, Taiki is, uh, you know, doing pretty well, but eventually Karen kind of notices like, hey, you're kind of like being reserved when, why don't you, you know, like, come on, you, you give, him, give him a good cheer and stuff. And uh, Chinatsu, you know, 
things about some of their time together and how she would kind of like act confident in front of him. Uh, and she, you know, lets out a big shout and that uh, they get gets more into it. And Taiki is, you know, getting into the match. And uh, as they're going through it, Kara is kind of just observing her friend and how she's like really, really tense and she's holding her hands together and stuff. And she thinks to herself, you know, I've never played on a sports team, so I wouldn't know. But everyone is amazing here you know they understand how every single moment is invaluable and then we cut outside to where uh it looks like haru is just kind of sitting under a tree somewhere yeah <laughs> uh it's interesting i assume this is him supposed to be getting psyched up before a match or something because yeah. there was a part of me it's like there is no way they uns he's unceremoniously been eliminated already like i feel like that would absolutely be <laughs> i stepped in a rock and broke my entire leg <laughs> yeah like i feel like uh karen would have definitely watched that match or whatever so i think this is just supposed to be him getting prepared uh as we're sort of setting ourselves up for like an inevitable taiki haru match at some point so yeah I'll feel cheated if we don't get that. <laughs> oh, it's going to hurt because the girlfriends of both boys are there. So like one oh, yeah. of them's going to lose and it's going to be like super awkward afterwards. Uh, it better. I guess it better be Taiki who loses there because I'm pretty sure that the Karen is the only one who could have driven there. <laughs> Never mind. That doesn't matter. Japan has public transportation. <laughs> um, This is uh, yeah, it's just it's it's a nice little it's a nice little chapter just kind of like it is eased into this tournament uh but uh yeah the important stuff hasn't started happening yet yes uh all right let's ooh, never mind <laughs> i was like all right nick let's move uh, on i'm like all right boruto boruto to blue vortex featuring mitsuki on the cover page his sleeves don't fit oh you're gonna need to grow into that our growing boy uh chapter seven the whereabouts of the sun what one of those well it's just one of those things you're like i assume like because he's like the bodyguard of the hokage son in this universe right like that's yes his role kind of you think somebody would be like maybe fit your sleeves <laughs> <laughs> like this just seems like an accident waiting to happen you're gonna walk through a door not fast enough your fucking stupid ass sleeves gonna get caught on something <laughs> What? I went to the same seamstress where Serata got her jacket. No, no, no. no. <laughs> First and foremost, uh, all of her ninja gear is purely decorational. <laughs> it has no function. <laughs> if you look, her shurikens are actually squeaky toys. <laughs> so Mitsuki gives us the reminder through, via internal monologue I am the moon hovering in darkness with no light of my own to cast and you are my sun as long as you illuminate me I can shine too and light up the darkness with my lunar glow so just to remind us of that whole thing that that's Mitsuki's thing that's been his thing since like the very beginning of Boruto when he got his little like side story to introduce him he's the moon that reflects the sun he treats Boruto as his son but of course in this universe he thinks the Kawaki is that sun okay Fights happening between Boruto and Mitsuki. Uh, Boruto throws Shuriken, and of course, they do nothing. But it was all part of a ploy, you see, because he uses the flying Raijin to teleport to one of them and stuff and get to a weird angle behind Mitsuki. Uh, and so they 
basically just like established to each other like okay Mitsuki knocked out Kawaki so that he could come here uh because he's like I can't let him get himself killed and also this way I can you know fight you while not holding back without deferring to him uh and uh snakes snakes and snakes snakes turn into clothes that also launch snakes 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 uh and uh Eventually, Boruto's just like, okay, that's enough of this. What? Kill all the snake clones. Uh, they were defeated very easily. Uh, bah, snake lightning. Uh, and uh, the lightning goes up against uh, Boruto's lightning. And, and, and then he gets in and he just holds his sword up to Mitsuki. And he's like, yep. All right, that was easy. Uh, <laughs> You're actually so not that hard. Mitsuki, like, releases his, like, combat form thing. And he's like, oh, just kill me and get it over with. Uh, but Boruto says, you think you came prepared to die when in fact it's that you've lost hope. You're feeling desperate. And Mitsuki says, what are you talking about? And Boruto says, your faith has been shaken. What you believe, or rather, what you want to believe, you can no longer trust. Come again? He says, Kawaki! The sun that had been illuminating you lost its radiance at some point. Isn't that what you feel? And Shikamaru's like, oh, this is good shit. You know, can you connect us so I can hear their conversation? This is very important that I hear everything that they're saying. You see, I know, Mitsuki, the current whereabouts of your son. I'm your son. It's that simple. And Mitsuki makes a snake appear coiled around him. You, you're my son? You have some nerve. Then why hasn't your snake attacked me? I bet you realized a while back that he's not it. Kawaki's not your son. No matter how close you stick to him, he refuses to illuminate you. I watch how the moon sits in the sky in the dark night, shining with the light from the sun, and the sun doesn't give light to the moon, assuming the moon's gonna owe it one. That's basically what he says. Yeah, I was gonna say You this. can't prove this is just a reference. <laughs> <laughs> I had to stop for him. I was like, did they read the whole lyrics out there? <laughs> Uh, so Mitsuki releases him from the snake and goes, who the hell are you? He's Boruto. He, even if you think that he's taken Kawaki's place, you've spent some time with him. What are, what are you so confused about? Ben Boruto just says, like, listen, I have no intention of killing Kawaki. I've got to settle things between with him, but that's between us bros. Just the two of us. So Mitsuki says, well, why did you kill Lord Seventh? No, Lord Seventh is alive, and he's safe, and my mom, I mean his wife, is safe too, and that's all I can say. You're capable of shining on your own, Mitsuki, but if you insist on needing a son, come find me anytime. And he winks at him. He doesn't do that, but it feels like he does. <laughs> he should wink. He'd be, it'd be, it'd be kind of charming if he winked. Uh, so then he just, like, leaves Mitsuki there, and Mitsuki's like, okay, I guess I'll just, like, listen to him now. <laughs> I guess I'll just fuck off. Uh, Kawaki shows up in front of Ada and is like, where the fuck did Mitsuki go, that asshole? Um, so, Shikamaru says, in summary, thanks. <laughs> Love it when people do that. So, Boruto says, hey, just so you know, don't try to th figure out how omnipotence actually works because you'll just forget it anyway. This is not the first time you've heard about it. Serata and the class rep have told you about it multiple times. It's just that by its very nature, it will not stick in your memory. No matter what you do, that's part of the power. So you just 
need to trust that Kawaki and I have switched places without any proof. So, all right, I guess the thing that the Omnipotence was doing, you can keep in your mind, but not why. Yeah, it's... I it's, guess. It's, it's very... Because he tries to say, he's like, no, Serata has told you this over and over again. Uh, like, you've, you've, you've already been forgetting this information. But it sounds like the one time we saw Serata talk to him, it sounds like he just dismissed it. It didn't sound like he yeah. like, had his brain, like, shattered into pieces or anything like that. He was just like, fuck off with this shit. You always come in my office and do this. So he has memory that she comes in to do this. Like to tell him right. that, but she he he forgets that it ever had, I guess, an influence on him, or this is just Barato's assumption, and he's wrong. I, I don't know exactly, but because uh, Serata has never seemed to indicate she's like, no, sometimes he listens to me, and then he forgets. It's weird, right? Like he's always just kind of dismissed her. I guess that the idea is supposed to be when Shikamaru tries to understand things in a rational, logical manner. Because he takes that approach, he can't go against the way the omnipotence works. So instead, you have to just act on faith and belief, which is why, for example, Sasuke was willing to just take Serata's word that something was wrong at face value, even though he was like, none of this, like, logically really holds up in my mind, but, like, I'm just going to believe my freaking daughter. I guess that was why that worked. And as schmaltzy and stupid as the conversation between Boruto and Mitsuki was, I I also do in concept appreciate the idea that Boruto was taking the tack of going for the thing that emotionally resonated with Mitsuki to get him to become potentially an ally in this whole thing, rather than trying to explain stuff to him rationally. There is value in the idea of like, okay, in order to win people over your side, you have to take different approaches with them because you can't just tell them the way that this works because it literally will not stick for them. But this is just kind of a really lazy explanation, it feels like. It's like, oh, if we explain it, it just doesn't work, but you have to just believe me anyway because we need you, Shikamaru, to be an ally of Boruto. Yes. And so just believe it. And that Because. That's why. That's all. So Shikamaru says like, okay, well, considering that, you know, the omnipotence effect lies with Kawaki, uh, then we can't just like confront him with this. So you'll need to stay a fugitive for a while. Bard's like, yeah, I, I was kind of planning on that. Fair enough. Okay. <laughs> yep. Last couple of pages are, we cut to the evolved claw grime trees, uh, who, and there's one of them that is reading a bunch of books and he just, says the more that i learn the more questions arise and the more things i don't know if anything the knowledge reveals my ignorance it's fascinating this is a great villain speech <laughs> uh and uh he's like and none of these books hold the answer to my question so let's pay a visit to uzumaki naruto okay so all right he thinks he can do that i guess uh which makes sense the claw grimes can like teleport and all that stuff so all right uh yeah that's that's Fair boruto enough. i mean look i don't want to hold it too much against um sort of the the content of the end here i just these guys i don't give a shit about these claw grimes so like when they ended it, it's just obnoxious as for the chapter as a whole this is not the worst chapter of boruto 
some would even say if you forced me to read uh, Boruto, I'd be like, can I start with two blue vortex and stop there? So I don't have to go to the other stuff. Because uh, this hasn't been as bad, even though there's been stupid shit in it. Uh, this was like acceptably bad. Because uh, it's like, all right, at least Mitsuki's character is involved and like plot development right. is happening. And like, Hey, I can kind of get behind like him and Borders relationship. It's just like, oh yeah, there's also this hanging fucking thing of like, ah, there's complicated rules we have to follow, and you guys are following it, but you're also being tricked by it. Anyway, you ought to take my word with no proof. Actually, you can never take proof. It, it's all just such nonsense that you're like, all right, like it doesn't make sense, but I'll, I'll go along with it. I get what you're trying to do. Hmm. Huh. All right. All right. Kaiju number eight, chapter 102. Uh, so Ichikawa has stepped up, and so now uh, we get freaking... For, for some reason, Iharu needs to step up. Iharu's got to step up. So uh, we get a conversation between him and uh, Scruffy Mc, Mc commanding officer, uh, who's like, hey, you're not nervous, are you? Don't worry. I made sure that you've got the skill necessary to handle Dai Kaiju threats. And uh, Yara's like, I know, sir. I need to exert them to the fullest. Like, no, 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 no. Listen, the minimum results gained when all factors take a plunge, that's what I refer to as skill. Go out there, be nervous, screw up, and take a plunge with peace of mind. You'll prove to be more than good enough that way. And it's like, that's a really cool vote of confidence. Like, look, it's fine. Even if you're not perfect, you'll be fine. Yeah. So it's nice. Uh, Yaru's case that he's carrying around on his back breaks apart, and he takes out a shotgun sniper rifle flamethrower. <laughs> it's very oddly shaped. It's very oddly shaped. Um, also, that is a huge box for it. Like, this is one of those it, things where, like, this is like an Amazon yeah, package I, where, like, I just ordered napkins. Why did you send this in a box that I could fit a car in? What is, like, what is this waste that you're doing? Uh, one of the Daikaiju immediately pounces on him and just bounces him into the I ground. Love, I love this shot of a Daikaiju. Oh. Like, Whoop. <laughs> and uh, the commanding officer is like, oh, no. Oh, no, he'll be fine. He'll be fine. Yeah. And uh, yeah, he just, he comes straight out of it. He's okay. But the people are observing him. And he's like, oh, he's engaging combat. His unleashed combat power is 24%. That's not good enough. Uh, but we get a flashback that he, between Iharu and his and uh, his commander saying, like, you're the third known example of a flash adapter. Same as me, in that you can't maintain a continuous state of full release because of your special cerebral structures. But there's a trade-off. You exhibit bursts of explosive combat abilities that leave others in the dust. I'll teach you how to put yourself in the zone for a very brief window, and if you can master that... Your momentary boost in combat abilities might very well surpass Ichikawa's. So, uh, yeah. Okay. Sure. It, 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 it ties into, like, what we've seen established of his abilities before, where, like, he was not progressing at the same rate as the others, that, that, that there's, like, a regular cap on stuff. So, yeah. Uh, he says that uh, this is something that he actually kind of came up with in order to try and compete with Hikari Shinomiya, the desperate combat style. 
Uh, and uh, Ihara does a cool thing where he launches bullets into the Daikaiju's body and then causes them to generate electricity from inside of it. And when he does, so, his combat power spikes all the way up to 88%, which is way, 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 way higher and yes. uh, makes it explode and stuff. Uh, then uh, Izumo and Kaguragi uh, demonstrate their stuff with um, that weird bow thing. Which launches um, toxinizing arrows. Sure. <laughs> okay. Why not? And then Aoi has a, just a freaking, like, an impact hammer thing that just smashes it and blows its skull apart. Okay. Yeah. Yep. Uh, and uh, then it gets down to, like, even so, our enemies are too great in number and strength to completely be taken down. Once the new generation is exhausted, the enemy will make another big push. But then, Gen Narumi gets on the, the horn and it's like, it's number nine. If we take down number nine, they'll stop. And so he's used his special eyes to look at the, at the core of these Daikaiju. And he's like, these things don't have brains. They're all receiving signals from an outside force. So we should act while our reinforcements are still holding strong and take out their commander. And what if we don't make it in time? Yeah, just like he planned, Tokyo will fall. The newbies from your squad are fighting tooth and nail, you know. You can't afford to be eaten and let it all end here, Ashiro. And our last uh, couple of pages are a, like a two-thirds page spread of Mina trapped with inside the weird cocoon thing that number nine is trying to consume her with. Uh, but she ain't dead yet, is, is the point. So, uh, yeah. I'm trying to think of, like, the anime example of this. Where you're, like, stuck in filler. And you're just waiting, like, the, like, tense plot point from before. Maybe, like, this is, like, Battle City, where, like, half of the crew was, like, like, my Valentine had just been, like, seemingly murdered. <laughs> like, sent to the Shadow Realm. And they just kind of, like, focused on her body. But, like, what if every episode, they're like, don't worry, once we finish beating fucking Lothar, the fucking legal guy, we'll get back and save you, Mai, and, like, close up on her. You're just, like, just save her already. Like, I cannot keep dealing with like more delays it is actively becoming obnoxious now we've got to show how kafka's old squad mates have grown quinn and i like it but like i don't know any of them like i have a little yeah. bit of affection for Haru, uh, but not enough that i want a chapter devoted to his cool new fighting style like we could do that somewhere else or or something yeah, like it's I'm, weirdly I'm, timed yeah i'm definitely just at a plate of like i want to see number nine get his stupid face punched in let's get there already when's the firework factory gonna show up nick they promised us they promised <laughs> After everything was teased out just prior to this of like, when is the hero going to come? Oh, it's Ichikawa. And now they're going to go save Ashiro. And now they're going to go save Ashiro. And now they're going to go save Ashiro. Then now it's, it's kind of like, come on. Yeah. <laughs> go do it. Uh, let's move on, though, real quick to Eden Zero. This is chapter 276. Shiki's choice, Nick. Shiki makes a yeah. choice. 15 years ago, if you remember from the last so flashback, uh, Ziggy had made the four shining stars in the form of the four women he saw inside the shelter because he's like, one of you has to be that kid's mom, right? 
Uh, it's not a sex thing. It's not a sex. He's like, it's it wasn't a sex thing. Make it very clear. I've just created memories for all of you. Uh, and you're an S and M master. Uh, you have mommy fetish. <laughs> like, like I just want you to know. I assume that from where I saw you guys inside of that room. Like I took one look at you. I was like, that's a dom right there. <laughs> she. She's really into like giving mommy milker pets and stuff like that. I just, I it was like instantaneous. Um, but he, he's like, yes, I filled them in with all of these memories. So they're head, you know, they're sailing around. She's like, we've almost made it to Grand Bell. Oh, how I missed! It. I hope everyone's doing well. And Ziggy's like, oh shit, I did a bad thing. <laughs> <laughs> he sucks so much. This is look. I am not inherently against retcons. But if you're going to have a retcon, make it good. Like this is this is so bad because in order to fit it in, it makes Ziggy seem so awful. Because now the canon, as explained in these few pages, is Ziggy got uncomfortable being around these girls that he had lied to but making up all these memories. And just was like, after three weeks, I give up. I can't be around them anymore. Oh, that <laughs> sucks. Away. You guys keep referencing things I don't really, I made up. I feel so bad. Would you guys like to just all go your own separate ways and like kind of fuck off? Like, I won't watch it. So some of you might die. Some of you may be abused by people. Some of you will like wander into criminal organizations. And I won't keep track with that because this is the good thing to do after I've given you all artificial life. They also do ask, they're like, hey, why'd you make us look like humans? <laughs> like, why did, why did you do all of this? And he's like, uh, no questions. <laughs> it's so funny. He literally, fucking ziggy doesn't have a face he's got his little robot mask <laughs> it's just like a little speech but he's like i can't take this anymore <laughs> oh my god <laughs> and he runs over <laughs> he runs over to like the little console and he's like oh <laughs> hey can you guys stop doing that on the other ship i asked <laughs> This is a bad idea. This is a bad idea. Can you stop making artificial people that look like humans? Uh... Stop building those dudes I told you to build. And then... But sir, it's grossly irresponsible to give life to entire creations, give them an entire purpose for being, and then abandon them three weeks later? <laughs> no, no, I can't handle it. Just do it. Um, this happened. Was there like something, some sort of cataclysmic event where one of them was going to go rogue and go crazy? And your presence, like, no, nah, it was just awkward. Just can't. I just can't answer uncomfortable questions. I'll just. Uh. This is awkward. I'm. I've actually realized I would rather run from my responsibilities <laughs> instead of confronting. I can just tell them because I was immediately going to be caught by lie if we showed up on that planet and they're like, oh, all of our old friends, and everyone's like, we've never met you before. <laughs> Um, I, but he contacts Eden's one to be like, hey, stop building the dark stars. And this is where the Eden's one's like, sure thing. Like, <laughs> parentheses, deception. There's no... I will certainly do that, Dave. <laughs> <laughs> There's no logic to it. The, this is this is the like reason for why the Eden's one turned evil is it did. Uh, so we... The, we the, the explanation that follows is truly something. Yeah. Because they're, well, the recapping of it, I guess. So we cut to present time, and Ziggy's like, I should have stopped you myself. Uh, but 
uh, what's his name? Void is like by then yeah. the Eden's one had already given the uh, gotten the ability to think, and after untold number of calculations, it arrived at a single conclusion: if it was going to wipe out the human race, all it had to do was destroy Mother. And why did it want to wipe? Why, why, why did it want to wipe out humanity? Why did it reach that conclusion? You're no, 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 no. no. Hold on, hold on. Cause Pause. Because Ziggy, Ziggy told them to stop building those boys. <laughs> but that, but. So it was like fuck you, Dad. Like what, what was? <laughs> but it did. But it also kind of still kept the memories of them. <laughs> but it still made them evil. But it was cool with some of them dying, so it built stronger versions of them. I'm beginning to think that this does not actually apply at all to the original timeline that we followed in Eden Zero, because the idea has been that. No, this was the backstory all the way through. But it really doesn't make sense when you consider that in order for this to have happened, Ziggy would have had to abandon the Dark Stars and then go back to them. Yes. Like, it's... There, there's, there's a lot of mess here um, to deal with all that. Also, there was like the whole thing that's like, oh, I, I made you the four shining stars who have access to Ethereon the ability that you can use in conjunction with like time jumping to travel through dimensions and you all four have to be like permissible, but also, Oh God, it's so awkward to be around you. So I'm going to send you guys all off in different directions. So I don't have to deal with it. Ooh, awkward. Sorry. He's just sitting there the entire time. They're talking, doing awkward turtle, <laughs> trying to slowly sink out of the scene. Master um, Ziggy, what are you doing? Oh, I'm not <laughs> I gotta go stop. What are you guys writing a book? Let's get out of here. Go away. <laughs> um. Anyway, uh, Ziggy's like, no, Shiki will save Mother. And then Void is like, do you really think Shiki can save Mother? Uh, it's very, very stupid. Anyway, we get like the fifth fucking time in this series. Mother reiterates <laughs> the decision point here. You either pick to save me and all of the people who have died in the other worlds will die here including yourself and your friends or you save all of your friends but i will die and humanity will eventually run out of ether and be destroyed what do you choose and rebecca's like this is bullshit he was a baby <laughs> you can't like you didn't sign up for this but uh shiki steps in is like no let her cook Mom, are you sure you want to let me choose? She's like, yeah. Mother. Yeah. Mommy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Mommy? Can I, are you sure you want to let me choose? She's like, oh, I don't like this anymore. Actually, the cat gets to choose. <laughs> um, and he, you know, he just says, all right, I, I'm going to make my choice. She's like, the consequences can't be changed. We'll make our own future. And I'm not going to make anybody kill my friends. So you'll have to disappear, mother. And... Mother smiles. Rebecca also just smiles uh, and is like, you had the choice to be a hero or a demon king. And I see you chose to be the demon king. Uh, I have no idea what the fuck that. Like, I know Shiki's title has always been the demon king. I don't know what it means in that context. I guess it's because on the surface, he made a very selfish choice. But no one in this scene has any like weight to it because like nobody's like, oh, my God, you've just doomed everybody potentially i know there's gonna be some fucking 
backhanded thing where like before mother completely disappears he's gonna be like hey are you my friend if you're my friend you can't be you can't i said all my friends get to live so you're my friend you gotta live some some Ooh. bullshit's gonna fucking happen or he's gonna run over to another plane he's like let's overdrive it it's mom mom everybody everybody's okay now um uh God. yeah i mean there is a scene that follows after that where boy's like oh mother yeah. is disappearing i've won <laughs> yeah there's there's a lot but we have so many series to talk about that's just eden yeah, zero yeah. it's dumb uh nobody should be surprised by that though yeah uh the implication is shiki has made the wrong choice I'll, honestly though mother may, forced him to make a choice and then and then was really judgy when he did make a choice uh so she seems like an absolute asshole uh fucker so yeah. <laughs> take that space mom new series in weekly shonen jump dear anemone uh so they're this is, a, this is a creepy horror uh, manga. It's horror survival manga. Chapter one, Paradise, featuring a protagonist person and a weird flower person uh, looming over them. So we start this, the uh, chapter off in a flashback where a guy on some sort of expedition team uh, gets attacked by a weird monster that has a mouth with very human teeth, very deep inside of it, uh, and he gets killed. One year later, the Pacific Ocean... So we get introduced to our main character, whose name is Gaku, uh, and he, you know, is on a boat headed to the Galapagos Islands, uh, south, just south of, uh, just west of Ecuador in South America. And the Galapagos Islands are known for being where uh, freaking Darwin developed like his theory of evolution, because this is a very isolated island, so all of the creatures that now live there are the product of like a very isolated form of evolution uh and they go over that and they you know they, they do have some very neat pictures of like you know real world animals uh, that exist and how bizarrely cute they are uh and um gaku says like oh you you know that so this is down where darwin came up with the theory yeah yeah and uh, there's this older guy's place i was like oh you know what you're talking about no, my friend was really into biology. Oh, the kids these days suck. Okay. Uh, an older woman comes out to address all the people that are on the boat. And they say, okay, look, you're all going to be disembarking soon. And uh, your mission here, the purpose of this expedition is for you to gather intel on the tragedy that occurred a decade ago. And it turns out that uh, Gaku and the others are here because... They've all got for all their own reasons. They need to like get, earn money or some other type of thing. So they're kind of in this desperate situation where they're supposed to investigate what has happened here. Because 10 years ago, there was this spontaneous explosion which disseminated a toxic substance, an as yet unknown virus. And so the Galapagos Islands have become this lawless, untouchable jungle very suddenly. They sent out a, like a... The government has sent out like military personnel and biologists and stuff. But of all the individuals that we sent, all of them died. Not a single one came back. And they, all their pictures get shown up but during this presentation. Gaku recognizes one of the faces that is up there. Uh, so they say, like, look, you're going to be on, on this mission for a full month. And then we'll send another ship to retrieve you. Everyone, you know, may luck be with you in the field. Uh we start getting like little like introductions uh, to people here and there. Uh, there is a very kind of fashionable young guy named Ryuichi 
who was nice to Gaku on the boat, you know, helped him out while he was uh, getting seasick and puking. Uh, and uh, so they're like, oh, yeah, why are you here? It's like, well, I'm here for freaking cash. Uh, and someone's like, yeah, same for me. I think feel like everyone's here for some re for the same basic reason. We all have like debt or some other circumstances that uh, has caused us to be here for financial reasons. And they kind of looked at Gaku and are like, oh, why, why are you here? And they're like, yeah, you don't look like you've like got a lot of debt because, you know, you're young and your eyes aren't full of dread and despair yet, uh, even though he's a very sad looking guy. Uh, but he starts to explain himself. And he just says, oh, I came here to change. But suddenly uh, a human comes staggering out of the jungle right behind him. And uh, one of them raises their guns. But Ryuichi is like, whoa, 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 hold on. Yeah, I recognize this guy. Th these, he's one of the missing people. So he starts to approach them. And he's like, yeah, yeah. What, uh, are you, what's going on here? What, why are you like acting all weird and stuff? And he goes over to him and is like, you made this guy freak out because of the way you appeared. What's going on? And of course, the guy's face morphs uh, into like a chameleon-like head. And uh, he sticks his tongue out, grabs the guy, grabs Ryuichi's head and rips it off and eats it. And uh, he, he said, there we go. <laughs> See ya, loser. So uh, glad I learned Ryuichi's name. He's dead now. <laughs> He's gone forever. I assume. Uh, we haven't established that people can survive having their heads torn off in this that, world. That so. might be a thing in this universe, you know? So, yeah. Uh, so we get, like, you know, ominous narration that says this island that was once called Paradise is the laboratory of evolution. Uh, everyone freaks out. Uh, then someone starts calling out from the jungle saying like, oh, my God, does anybody here? Hurry, he'll eat you. Run. Uh, and so one of the other members of the team rushes into the jungle. Uh, but instead of coming across someone, he comes across the weird thing that ate the guy in the flashback before. It's like a bird like creature that has human teeth within its beak, which is not scary looking at all. Uh, and uh, yeah, he, he tries to shoot it. It's freaking bulletproof. Uh, and it uh, rips apart his gun and throws it away. Uh, and uh, Gaku realized, like, I have seen this kind of thing before. It's like when someone steps on a flower for no reason other than just because. It's when the strong trample the weak. But, and he remembers being beaten up when he was in, like, you know, junior high or something like that. And a fluffy-headed kid protecting him. The same fluffy-headed kid who would grow up to apparently be one of the biologists on the previous expedition that he recognized. And so after, you know, helping him and stuff, it turns out that Yoshio, this kid, was really big into animals and stuff. And he's like, oh, yeah, I was in, like, the National Biolympics and stuff. I wanted to go on an expedition. I want to go to this island, discover all sorts of stuff. Uh, and Gaku is like really hard on himself saying like, oh, I'm just a coward. You know, you're great. You've got this dream you want to accomplish. You're brave and you protected me and I'm just weak and I can't change. Uh, but Yoshio said, hey, do you know why flowers are pretty? It's like, what are you talking about flowers for? It's like, okay, here's what I think. No matter how many times flowers are stepped on, they're strong and they're persistent. They're beautiful because they're proud to bloom in their bright colors despite everything. For all the times you were stepped on, you know how others in your shoes have felt. You understand the fear they feel. And people like that are bound to grow stronger. You can change. Uh, and uh, yeah, Gaku looks over and sees like a flower. Uh, and he's kind of reminded of this in the present while everyone's panicking and running away from monsters and stuff. 
and he goes thinks to himself i remember why i came here in the first place and he takes action and runs after the guy that is in danger to try and help even though he can't really do anything uh and uh we get more of like the ethos of the series which is according to the biologist charles darwin the one that is most adaptable to change uh uh the one uh, is the strongest of the sp- is what survives. It's not the strongest. The most intelligent is the most adaptable to change. Uh, yeah. And Gaku uh, picks up the shattered remains of the gun and he's going to change and he's going to protect this guy from this weird bird thing. He's, he uses the gun as a club and gets caught around the neck and starts getting choked to death immediately. <laughs> I was like, damn, uh, quick, quick series, but I, I applaud it. <laughs> Everyone dies in the first chapter, the end. I honestly would not have been shocked the way things were going if it was just like, so this guy is not the protagonist. Yeah. <laughs> um, Like blood starts coming out of his mouth and his nose and every hole in his head as he's getting the life squeezed out of him by this weird bird thing. Uh, But he's still trying desperately to survive. He's, you know, kicking it at it and stuff. And it's weird because the bird thing does not seem to just be mimicking human speech it seems to understand it because he's like stop it stop kicking me yeah stop it <laughs> jerk hey uh and gaku's like i've got to kill my weak self and be strong like you yoshio i need to change by saving you uh and something happens because gaku's blood falls on the flower under him and just as he goes limp it's like pouring over it and we cut to the ship that is on the that is you know off the shore of this island, and someone says to the other woman like, "Oh, you mean their sacrifices?" I prefer to not use such a barbaric term. <laughs> uh, and she says, "We handpicked them all for this. You can't dismiss their potential. That island is both paradise and hell because evolution is always so cruel yet so beautiful as it surpasses human imagination." And as she's saying this, the flower that Gaku is bleeding on grows an eye and then grows up from the ground in a mass of tendrils that start to take a humanoid shape. And the bird then goes, wah, and then its head gets squeezed apart and its eyes pop out as the creature emerges, takes on a humanoid, somewhat effeminate shape with big kissable lips. Uh, And Gaku looks up and realizes it's the flower. And he realizes, he remembers what Yoshio had referred to as before, an anemone. Uh, So we are in this now. Uh, It's an island horror survival thing that uh, seems to draw on a couple of different things that we've seen before. But there's nothing like this currently running in Jump. So, hmm. Yeah, I don't have a. I, I, we, we're we're behind on time, so I don't want to give a ton of thoughts. Uh, the, I definitely, as I read this, thought like, "Oops, I astro babied myself again." I read a manga plus series uh, that's not actually a jump series, and I was like, "Nope, this is a jump series." Okay, this is it. interesting. Yeah. Uh, I'll have more to say next time, but yeah, definitely a lot of Hell's Paradise kind of vibes going on here. Yeah. Um, but you know, we'll see. I mean, horror related battle manga are definitely popular right now, but. That might ne- not necessarily be the series' benefit, as there are quite a few of them running to yeah. jump at the moment. It seems like we may have just had introduced a primary dynamic of akin to Fabricant 100, which mm-hmm. did not last very long. Uh, we'll see. I think the artwork in this is pretty good. 
uh, we'll have a couple more chapters to gauge it. Yes. Green, green, greens, chapter 11. I found it. Uh, Haku is preparing for the upcoming tournament. He still can't putt. He's been trying all sorts of stuff, watching YouTube videos, trying all the different putters that are available at the driving range. Oliver's a lot more friendly with him now and is actually like offering him little bits of observation and advice here and there, uh, including one which is like, hey, if you draw a line halfway down around the ball and then watch the way that the line moves when you hit the ball you don't want it to wobble if you hit it dead on then it'll just you know like leave a straight line after image when you hit it uh and haku does do this occasionally he's like it feels so good when you hit it straight Aww. and stuff but yes it does but he, he's not consistent and he's like maybe it's just that i suck it buddy <laughs> um and he's also realized, like, you know, the, the problem as well is that, like, you know, with drivers and, I and irons, like, you can feel everything when you have a putter because of the slow speed. I can feel every part of my body and how, like, when, when it's, like, out of place and stuff. Uh, and he knows that he's been told a lot constantly, like, it, it's just thing I need to learn on myself and everything. But he's, you know, getting kind of frustrated as he's going about it. He also has just a conversation with Oliver as he's practicing about like, yeah, I, I understand you want to get like a birdie. And if you can't put, you can't do that. Uh, but Haku's like, look, you know, Oga's wag on to golf. I think she's going to be going abroad soon. Before that, I want to show her how much I've grown in this sport because he respects her and stuff. Uh, and he's like, yeah. And Oliver says, you know, if you did get a birdie on your first tournament, that would be quite an accomplishment. But just imagine, like, look, if you have a par four hole, you have to get a ball 400 yards from the tee onto the green and then into a four and a quarter inch diameter hole in three shots. Wow, when you put it like that, it sounds really hard. <laughs> He's like, ooh, wait, is that what the sport's about? Ooh, never mind. Actually, I'm gonna, can I buy back all my manga and, and video games? This sounds really hard again. Uh, Haku uh, continues to practice, but he takes a little break. Like, Oliver tells him, like, hey, for your first course, you should, like, try and take it easy. Uh, but uh, Oliver goes and he goes to see Oga, who is also practicing, and he immediately is just really judging. Like, your follow through is too short. Your balance is off. You're lifting your head slightly. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but he points out, like, you're clearly overworking yourself. Like, are you going to, like, run yourself ragged before you get to the States? Uh, and you don't look like you're enjoying yourself. And Oga says, if I could win just by enjoying myself, then I'd do that. Good line. Yeah. Uh, but he also says, like, hey, you know, if you do overwork yourself, though, you're going to get tripped up by people who are enjoying themselves. For example, a beginner who's choosing his putter right now. It's like, what are you talking about? Nothing. Goodbye. <laughs> I am not alluding to anything. Now I will mischievously disappear. Uh, Oga is like, all right, I've she, she's been clearly working really hard. She's hit like almost 400 balls in the driving range at this point. So she's like, all right, I need to clean up. Uh, she comes across uh, Haku, who is practicing putting. And he's like, yeah, I'm trying to decide which putter I should use. And Oga's me like, is that Oliver Bastard saying that he might beat me? <laughs> but she also realizes, like, you're using, like, an antique putter, like a really classic one. Uh, and he's like, yeah, it's this kind of like thought that all putters used. I, I used to think all putters looked like this because it looks like a mini golf club. But all, there's all these, you know, like modern ones, too. They're so cool. 
and she gives a little bit of backstory to it because of course she knows all this stuff about this butter and how it's called the bullseye and how it was popular back in the 40s and 50s but it's just you know not it's faded out of style now uh she says if it were still a winner today i'd use it without hesitation just just kind of nice to like she also has that sympathetic side to her too it's just but she denies it to herself to win uh so she also says hey why not take a shot with it um and as haku's looking at it he realizes like oh hey this putter is different from the others it's it's totally flat it doesn't have like a backing surface uh and she says yeah that's kind of a special feature of it is that it's dual faced depending on the model so haku just has this epiphany and he switches the club from one side of the ball to the other and as he hits it there is just this drop of water like going off as everything like harmoniously comes into effect and he goes right into the hole putting left-handed and Oga's like but well, you you hit it from the left and yeah Kaku says, like, yeah, the way the Rangers are designed, you have to hit from the right. And the first club that I got handed was meant to be used on your right side, too. And I just kind of figured that's how it was supposed to go. Until when I found out about all the left-handed stalls that do exist, I was just used to driving right-handed. Uh, but yeah, I'm a lefty. Uh, <laughs> Nick has like a, a quiet moment of terror in his head of a sports manga where is a major character point of actually I'm left-handed. I am left-handed. Oh, Bucky wishes in his Yeah, uh, but this was done in a very cool way. I love the visual of the, with the water droplet going off as yeah. he just has this revelation. It's like everything falls into place and I've just been fucking doing it wrong because the world doesn't cater to left-handed people enough. Yeah. So. There, cool. there is absolutely like a great vibe there where like you do do something like you hit it in exactly the right way or you accomplish some physical task with exactly the right form and you're like oh that felt really good mm -hmm. <laughs> i love that being uh showcased here with the water very very cool touch tournament coming up uh excited to see what will happen <laughs> absolutely new sexist chapter 38 i won't <laughs> let you go uh, we have to have this fight stretched out as long as possible. Gakuro gets the killing blow. No, he doesn't. The thing literally tears its own arm off in order to wield the weapon in the other hand. It goes, I've got you now. When arms come out everywhere to grab at Gakuro and stuff. Oh no, they ripped his arm off. It doesn't matter. Dismemberment has no consequences in this story. Uh, he's got energy that's helping him, I guess. Uh, he looks at Shitatsu and she's all panicky and stuff like that. And he thinks to himself, don't look at me that way. It's like you're telling me I haven't grown one bit. And we get a flashback to when uh, they were kids just after their father had died. They were told the truth of what had happened as in the existence of spirits and stuff. And they were offered the chance to, you know, join the, the exorcist and all that stuff. And Shitotsu was like, yeah, let's go with those people. And Gakura's like, no, it's scary and we'll die. And Shitotsu's like, well, come on, come with me. And Gakura's like, I won't let you go. If we do, we'll know the truth and get stronger. But then what? Daddy still died after that. We're not going. And Shitotsu says, no, dad was killed and he protected us and we couldn't do anything. He was dying and we were powerless. Are you fine like that? We have to do this together. Say we'll go to together. And you start. She starts beating him up. And Gakura's like, "No, let's stay here together." 
and she pushes her away and she's just like all right fine you done it now you're a coward who smiles like an idiot when you're being bullied and you push me so bring it if you win, we'll stay here. And if I win, we're doing as I say. <laughs> fight, children, fight, fight. Kill each other. Bring each other nothing but misery. Uh, she. We don't see the rest of the fight, but Shitatsu somehow manages to succeed in breaking Gakuro's arm. Good job, kid. Uh, so yeah, this, even this, still. This was a heavy fight. <laughs> Gakuro's still like, no, I'm not going to give up until you give up. Just like, why are you like this? If you came with me, you just end up dead. And she just like fully knocks him out and he wakes up in the hospital. She talks to decided to leave him behind because, you know, like she was like, fine, you've proven yourself too weak for all this. And so Gakuro blames up because like, if only I had beaten Shitasu back then. If only I had beaten up my eight-year-old sister back then. <laughs> if only I had beaten up my little sister more. I could have been one of the strong chance. Given half the chance, I would beat up a child. If only I could have knocked out that baby girl even more. I'd be one of the strong boys now. They'd be talking about me. Uh, So he's like, this is, you know... We realized, like, he was weak and caused all this to happen. He let his sister, you know, like, be separated from him because he was too weak. So he won't lose anymore. I won't back down and leave Shitasu to fend for herself. And uh, the memories cause some sort of, like, power boost. He blocks this big attack from the big spirit by blocking it with his sword. And he's like, I'll let Shitasu feel like that ever again. That's my duty to fulfill as her big brother. Uh, his sword shatters, but he has managed to block the blow, and then, ooh, dark energy swirls around him, and he has reconnected with Nue, who appears before him and says, I shall give you three paths to choose from. Cool. Can't wait. I know, uh, I know this is a, a thing that, like, legitimately Akane Banashi did, like, only, like, what like four months ago or something like that yeah but it's so much less interesting here of like ooh, will you make the right choice Sagakuro? like who gives a shit i don't care also, yeah it feels like happen. every time Gakuro. it also feels like literally every time Gakuro fights now he's got to get some sort of upgrade yeah. like we we can't ever establish a status quo with what his powers are because they're too boring yeah this um, this, this this is this is bleach core nick we, every time uh ichigo fights he needs to either get a power up or lose <laughs> Yeah, um, it's um, honestly like th at least the stuff between him and Shitasu in this flashback is something. Uh, it's it still makes him look pathetic, but it's something. Uh -huh. uh, yeah, super psychic policeman Chojo, <laughs> uh, the the cat hunting senior police officer. No, don't hunt cats. That's bad. Um, Are you sure I got one right here? The same one. <laughs> Good hunting, Quinn. <laughs> Good hunting. He's fine. I need to make it very clear. He just fell. He's fine. Look, I'll show you. He's fine. He's I need fine. everybody to know he's he perfectly just... okay. He's just in cat shame mode where he's like, no one was supposed to no, see that. No, I didn't fuck up. I didn't. I didn't broadcast my fuck up to 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 the entire internet. Anyway, 
the drunk guy from the first chapter is here and immediately I'm like, oh no, they're going to run this joke into the dirt immediately, aren't they? <laughs> uh, he's he's pathetic and does, and no one wants him to be around and so he's hanging out at the police station instead. Um, some like judgmental cool girl shows up as well and is like, my cat's missing. Uh, and uh, so she's got a cute cat with big eyes that they need to go and find and stuff. Uh, but she's very judgy towards them while it's happening. They do some really bad poop jokes. Um, That's all I remember from this chapter is it's like nonstop poop jokes. There's a lot of pages that are just poop jokes. And then eventually uh, Chojo turns to uh, Iponki and is like, I need you to become catnip. And they draws a bunch of cats towards them. And then he uses her as a weapon as well to like fend them off. The drunk guy shows up again, uh, and then he Chojo uses him as a way to catnip and also fight off the cats as well. And eventually they do actually get the freaking cat uh, back to uh, its owner, and she's she's very grateful to them and stuff. And then uh, it turns out she's got to be part of the recurring cast, uh, mm-hmm. because I guess this series needed an actual straight man uh, to be around these people. And then the drunk guy is like, I guess I don't belong here anymore. And he walks off like the Incredible Hulk. Mm-hmm. Um, that's the chapter. No, this, there's uh, like there's like a little thing that says he came back the next day. Just so you don't, just when no, 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 he shows up a chapter. I know it's going to be the last chapter you'll ever read this series, but I just want you to be prepared. It's not chapter three, so. <laughs> I know, well, that's what I'm saying. In chapter three, that character will show back up again, so. Presumably. Uh, yeah, um, this was a, a step down from uh, the first chapter for me, and I already was not high on it. Uh, so this one just had a bunch of poop jokes that I did not care for. And uh, yeah, honestly, it's not shocking for this type of series. So, oh, well, uh, this is the nuance of, uh, of of myself, the duality of man. The poop jokes did not work on me. Uh, shameful, embarrassing, absolutely pathetic. Had they been fart jokes, I might have been falling out of my chair laughing. <laughs> so I need to be very clear. <laughs> The barrier, the line is is thin, uh, but this this wasn't it, Chief. At, at least the absurdity of them trying to track a cat down by farts would have been something. Like, but yes. it's just no. I mean, you, you do actually track animals anyway. Two on ice, chapter twenty, temptation of Christ. This is the most Catholicism we have had. We have gotten in like any manga we have recapped like all of these christ uh metaphors and stuff with sora so uh i I have i unconsciously uh genuflected as i was reading this chapter i was like ah back in mass uh we get a little bit of background into franz liszt a, a composer who composed the piece of music that Sora uh, performs to in this chapter, Après une lecture du Dante Fantasia Quasi Sonata. I did not take French, so I don't know if I pronounced that correctly. Uh, The point is that it's basically a story about the descent into hell that Dante takes in Dante's Inferno. I actually did look up this piece of music to listen to it. It's weird. Uh, It's very like discordant and is supposed to deliberately like you know evoke like really weird demonic images and hellfire and stuff uh and Sora is performing to it and like his first jump is just quad axle quad lutes quadruple flip just 
immediately doing all these perfect, incredibly intense things while everyone's just going basically orgasming in the audience because it's so ridiculous. And then we get a visual of him prying open the gates into hell uh, because he's like that. So, <laughs> um, and uh, there is narration that says even the light of hope cannot reach the pits of hell. Uh, this is all because, and I quote, You've been traumatized by a woman, haven't you? Yeah, somebody's like, bro, who hurt you? He's like, what? How did you know? And the best He's part like, see is like, it seems to be subconsciously it was probably Kasara at some point when right. you're like, you were children. <laughs> like you, you were, were children. you were really letting this fucking girl turning you down or something like that when you were fucking like 11, everyone else in the world's problem. And not only did you like make that in your entire existence, like I am the snake that devours the world, sent by sent by Satan to tempt Adam and Eve and all this shit. Not only all that, but also you decided to crush her dreams before leaving to do all that stuff. Sora is such a great villain. He's so awful. <laughs> uh, and so the entire point of this performance is just to reiterate Sora's whole thing that like, you know, beauty comes from suffering and stuff and how he's been hurt by his own beauty somehow. somehow. Art tr isn't art truly about transcending what's morally right? In hell, I offer myself up to a devil called art that twists me into a beautiful form. So extra and stupid. Um, and uh, yeah, so he's doing all this stuff and Kisara and Hayuma are watching it all. And they're like, why would you want to skate pairs? Like, he say he said that some people choose pairs for unhappy reasons. And Kisara's like, well, he only told me that he'd do it once he was ready. But whatever his reason is, if he tries to intimidate you again, I won't stand for it. Which is cute. It's yeah. like, you know, just like, fuck that guy. Um, but uh, yeah, so... They they say that like the women's voices don't sound like cheers and shouts so much as the screams of death, which is probably terrifying on a scale like that. Just to hear, you know, thousands of women going. Ah! Uh, anyhow, anywho, um, they go over like Jesus Christ. If this guy came into our world, what would happen? And then they say like they say like so. What should we do in order to beat him? That they, I want to do a performance that isn't like his performance in order to beat him. And Kisara agrees, and they're like, okay, yeah. And as Sora stands up on stage, because of course he won the gold, uh, he thinks to himself, I'm ready now. So, uh, yeah, the, 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 the final clash is coming. Shocker, I know. Uh, but uh, I did appreciate how over the top this chapter was. Yep. Good stuff. Uh, I like how over the top this character is. And if they pulled back even slightly, I'd be angry. So, you know, keep that up. Uh, Elusive Samurai, Nick. Uh, it's all about. Oh, man, please pull the back on this character. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the Elusive Samurai, Chapter 145, Noble Warrior. Akie has come back to the battlefield in a very big, stupid getup. And it turns out it was a good thing because the weird tower he's on gives him sway that lets him launch weird arrows and stuff. Uh, generals are engaging Toki's forces and all of this stuff. Um, there's we get to learn the more of the eccentricity of one of the generals who's like, where's my old lady? Your wife died three years ago. Anyway, uh, um, Toki's armor does not get penetrated because his armor is too 
thick again. He just gets a tiny little nick. Uh, insulty uh, guy who has the weird uh, non-boot, that's his name, the weird dialect, uh, attacks Toki as well and then turns around to like taunt Tokiyuki because that's his one character trait. Uh-huh. Um, Akie's uh, band and court musicians are playing really lively and Genba's like, oh, wow, this is fun. And he's like, I'm just going to go and join the party, basically. It's like, all right, sure, fine. It's not like there's a battle going on or anything like that. The one guy from Toki's forces that they took capture uh, is like, huh, they make battle look kind of fun. Okay. Uh, and then one of the weird triple chin guy that we saw briefly before shows up and is like, I'm going to go kill a Kie. And Shizuku is waiting there with a little like set of banners uh, in front of her and is like, oh, we've wel- prepared a welcome in case someone actually reached our main position. And Sheena comes out and immediately chops his arm off with her leg sword. All right, glad we introduced that character. He's he's done. Uh, so now, uh, yeah, Yuki Toki is like, well, I should retreat and restock explosives. That's humans. Uh, but he gets hit in the back of his armor by one of Akiye's arrows, and then Yuki, the weird battle hungry guy, uses his ho- sword hook thing to strip off a bunch of pieces of uh, Toki's armor and uh, Akie nails him with an arrow that goes like through his shoulder and Tokiyuki and Kojiro come in with swords and slash him straight across the face Uh, they very heavily imply he ain't dead uh, because he straight up falls into the river and washes away and they're like no one could have survived that and he's like "He's, he's probably fine Akie is like, men like him fall to ruin off the battlefield. It's like, he'll come back and kill you, dude, you dumbass. Uh, but yeah, they've won the battle. Hooray. Uh, that's the chapter. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, so, Akane Banashi. <laughs> Akane Banashi. I don't know much to say. I guess Toki was a fine villain, but I don't really think much about him. And I don't think I ever will again. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Kane Banashi, like this cute uh, color page, uh, you know, sure. Kane, and then contrasted with her, with her three friends and all their, all their stuff that they're working on as well. Uh, so everything is building up into this performance of Akane's. She is performing, uh, Tanuki Dice, and she's reached the point where the guy that is, you know, been offered help by the Tanuki wants him to turn into a die. He's like, oh yeah, do it so that, you know, like, do it so that you've got, you know, like, all the proper faces and stuff like that. Uh, and, uh, so, he's like, hey, uh, you know that plum flower crest on the temple to the god Tenjin in the mountains? Uh, that's got the same pattern as, as, as a five does on the die. That's why I like it so much. Uh, so it's like, oh, wow, yeah, you've turned into the die, and Akane is mimicking the die and everything. Let's give you a roll. Oh, Oh, you got all dizzy and you're going to puke. Oh, come on. What kind of die doesn't roll? And then she goes into acting like the Danuki, like. Uh, and then the journalist realizes, like, wait a minute. Like Akane Arakawa is like making faces. That's very unusual for her because she's all about like orthodox performances. And then, of course, this ties into what she did before when she was a kid acting out Rakugo uh, just kind of for the hell of it and there is a 
flashback that is outside of even what her friends were mentioning the fight that she had with Jumbo, where uh, before the promotion test that failed her dad, she just kind of like went to a room and like set up some stuffed animals to perform a, a Rakugo for them. It's so cute. Yeah. Uh, and so she's like doing it and she's like, Oh, that kind of sounds like that, but oh, what if I did it like this instead? Oh, yeah, that's great. Yeah. You know, maybe, maybe, maybe I should teach this dead. No, I'll keep this a secret. <laughs> um, but essentially like, this is just an indication of, like, this is, what her natural type performance is rather than what she has learned to do. And so she continues in the rock ago performance with the guy saying like, Hey, you came here because you said you wanted to repay me. So I make the rules here. So stay in line and know your place. And then she turns off stage and shouts to Asagal, like, who do you think you are? Mr. Futasume with a pompadour. And it's, just this very like thrown in thing but of course because she was talking about Asuka before everyone like gets the joke that she just made uh and Akane is like thinking to herself like yeah I don't just want to be just any Rakugoka I want to be an Arakawa Shinichi I thought about meeting the bar for promotion in the shortest time frame possible and I'm here where I am now because I've taken it seriously but that's not all of who I am from Shu, I learned learning the fundamentals to Ha, breaking from tradition. Sometimes you need to be bolder to be more free. And as she's performing on stage, her little kid form is is performing out in the same way. Yeah. I mean, the kind of the memory of her. Uh, Chocho reflects on you know like the challenge that was laid for Akane to do this without you know Edo dialect, uh, and so he's like, yeah. I understand that like Zenza is when you're supposed to learn fundamentals, but she's had a big head start learning from Shigama for a lot of her childhood. So that foundation of hers should be rock solid by now. So forget about that. Take the building blocks you've got and play how you want. The nin that we can glimpse there will enthrall your audience and that act of play will accentuate your art. Rakugo is about the combination of art and nin you're not even using half your ability yet. You've finally begun to tap into your potential. And Tyson takes this all in. And Chocho thinks to himself, ah, but there is another foot to drop still. <laughs> the question is, will you be able to grasp it? Will you come to learn the other effect of Nin? Ooh. Yes, Akani, you can shoot lasers now. <laughs> You have <laughs> astral projection Rakugo battles with your superiors. But will you be able to learn the other effect of ninja? <laughs> it makes you a detective. You could read minds. Uh, this is a fun chapter, though. I love the, the visuals of Akane as a little kid performing for her freaking stuffed animals and how that plays into how she's doing things more freely now. It's cute. Yeah, uh, there's there's definitely uh, a lot of cool things. I love the visual of like she's having fun and it's like she was a child again. You know, that that kind of like passion that exists when you just start getting into something for the first time. That is something like, I think about a lot is like, oh, like 
it was just talked about Pokemon like that. Like, oh man, remember when I first played Pokemon and like that joy that comes along with it? There's something like it's just uh, there's that irreplaceable thing. So like her channeling that on stage, I think is like a great touch. I'm honestly a little sh- like surprised to be like, what can really top that? Because that's such I feel like like a universal like you know powerfully effective moment that I'll be very curious what like the crescendo to all this is supposed to be. Because I'm assuming she's not supposed to fall on her ass here. Yeah, I hope not. And uh, we're two weeks from chapter 100, so <laughs> we'll see if that's a big thing. Very true. Uh, now, Nick, do you want me to get started on One Piece? Because unfortunately, this is one of those One Piece chapters where we cut like 17 fucking times. So. Yeah, good luck. Uh, I've been looking for you is the chapter title. Yeah, chapter 1107. I've been looking for you. We even get a title page where uh, Beppo is going to fuck Law up by pouring hot water down a tiger's mouth. So... All right, I didn't know Beppo was kind of yandere, but he is apparently. It seems like he is, yeah. Uh, so we open with Dorian Broggy, the blue and red ogre who are here. They're like, let's smash a bunch of ships. Also, Omo and Kashi are there. I vaguely recall these two characters from before, uh, but Marines are basically like, what the fuck? Why are these guys back? As they're, uh, you know, we get a, a little giant pirate crew kind of two page spread and the giant pirates are are fucking things up, basically. Were they from Enos Lobby? OK, very long time ago then. Um, we see that uh, Usopp is watching this all happen through a pair of binoculars that for some reason have a crosshair <laughs> through the visual. I legitimately like thought. I legitimately thought he was going to snipe one of them at first. I was like, oh, Usopp, this is a bad call, my guy. Uh, but instead, Usopp is crying because his masters are here. He hasn't seen them in so long, but that was a moment where yeah. he got really inspired. And he's so thankful. He's like, I was so worried we might make it all the way to Elbath and never see them. Like, this is this is really good. We get a little refresher on who these characters are in case you forgot, because it has been like... 15 years since a lot of this stuff was even relevant actually way longer than that so yeah more than that yeah almost 20 years probably uh but they realize that yeah yeah, they realize that the uh the giants are attacking the navy ship so they have to be on our side they must be here to help basically uh somebody asks like how did they know what was happening here and they're like it's a major news story because the marines are attacking an island so news travels fast basically uh, but they're 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 not here to rage war. They're here to break us out. And Usopp's crying. He's very excited. Uh, Brooke gets on the line and is like, "Oh, is that not me? Uh, it's me." And she's like, "Where are you now?" He's like, "Oh, we're almost there. We'll be passing through in a moment." And he's he's just <laughs> sipping tea. He's just having. He's just real relaxed about this. <laughs> As, uh, As again, their ship is skidding uncontrollably down the ice. And they have no idea how it stops. Lilith slaps him in the back of the head and gets on the line. It's like, hey, uh, this idiot doesn't have an idea on how to stop. So we're going to sail straight off the island and get destroyed by the laser grid right now. Uh, Jimbei, we cut over and he is using his little levitation uh, powers of the boots to like fly around. He's like, oh, sounds like a lot of ruckus is going on. We should be ready to leave at a moment's notice. You hear that, Zoro? We should be ready to leave at a moment's notice. You shouldn't be fighting right now, Zoro. <laughs> we cut over to Zoro in his fight against Lucci, which I swear it has felt like a hundred chapters since we last visited this. It's felt like an eternity. It's been since, it's been since before the 
the flashback that we even checked in on this fight. Yeah. So yeah. It's definitely been quite a bit. Uh Zoro is fighting Lucci. He has a little quip where he's like, oh hey, can we wrap this up in a bit of hurry? And <laughs> Lucci's just like, you know, it's something the winner is supposed to say, right? <laughs> you're the, like you're kind of dead weight right here. Your friends can't leave without you. So you're just trapping them all here. And as long as you're still alive, they can't go anywhere. So, you know, I kind of feel like you don't really uh, have the position to say that. But Zoro finishes by saying, you say that as though you're in the one in control of how long we fight. So maybe Zoro is going to try something to put this fight away quickly. We don't know. Cut over. Pacifistas are blowing up the Navy ships. Red King, Vice Admiral Red King, laments how this has all gone so horribly wrong. Not only that they are being attacked by their own weapons, but then that they must use their own armament to destroy their own weapons because they have to blow up the pacifistas. So, uh, this is, uh, uh, dangerous, essentially. Mm -hmm. Cut over to the rest of the characters. Uh, Bonnie... Uh, is looking at Luffy, who is in Gear 5 form, dancing in the air. As he's like, hey, why are you crying? And she's like, of course I'm crying. I've been looking for you. And Luffy's like, what do you mean? We've been hanging out together the whole time. And she's like, but I didn't know you were Nika. And he's like, what's a Nika? What's Nika? <laughs> yeah. By the way, that punch you threw was pathetic over there. And she, oh, she's like, I wanted to hit him with a rubber punch just like you have. Show me how to do it. In fact, hit this guy. This guy sucks. Please hit him. Uh, what? I don't suck. I just, you know, separate people from their loved ones and bring up children purely to torture them because I get off on it. I don't suck. You suck. <laughs> he does have uh, St. Siren as a quick like, no, you're all stupid insects and no reason why you're worthy of death. And he's like, no, nah, no, there isn't. Okay, Bonnie, I'll punch him for you. <laughs> does a big wind up. I think he winds up so much he hurts himself. Uh, and then he uses gum gum, Dawn Gatling, and really just fuck lays into saint saturn uh kind of sends him flying we get to see bonnie looking at it and then notably the camera also pans over to kuma who's kind of unconscious and vegapunk who's dying uh but yeah, yeah he is sent flying uh frankie runs over and is like all right we got to get out of here let's use the hover function on our our boots or uh whatever so you know let's get going uh and uh vegapunk's like you should go on ahead i will die if i move <laughs> It is, uh, I'm not, this isn't a, I'm going to be walking out of here scenario. Uh, and that's when Borsalito shows up and is like, eh, you're going to be dying whether or not you move or not. So <laughs> get ready to die. Has a big laser beam, ready to fire. Who should show up, Nick? Sanji interferes and completely blocks the kick uh, or the laser beam uh, and, and disappears with like a pam although I've heard the Japanese automatopoeia is more like almost like a pop like a gun, like a gunshot going off uh, Porcelino has a great reaction Frankie's like that was a laser beam are you kidding me uh, Sanji just responds love is stronger than light <laughs> <laughs> and Borsalino's like, if that's true, then physics as we know it is dead. <laughs> I love that response. That's such a very specific, nerdy way of putting that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> very, very amusing. Uh, Frankie and all of them are getting out of there, leaving just Luffy and Sanji behind. And Borsalino's like, you really kind of put me in a bad spot now. I kind of have to take both of your heads at this point to save any face. Uh, Luffy just laughs, and Sanji has a great response. He's like, well, you better start writing up that formal apology now. Yep. Very cool. 
cut over saint saturn in the rubble he has been spattered two people show up who is it nick it is the blackbeard pirates it was a misdirect yes. to another misdirect to the real answer to everything the blackbeard pirates are here or at least katarina devon and von auger are here uh Katarina Devon, Devon is the one talking. She's just like, ooh, what kind of powers do you have? I have never heard of any of the Elder Dragons leaving, like, their lofty perch to come around us, you know, mere mortals. So thanks. This really helped us a lot. And she touches him and then just goes, there, mission complete. <coughs> we get, like, every introduction to these characters, a reminder in case you don't remember. Von Auger has the Warp Warp fruit and she has the Nine-Tailed Fox fruit. Uh, St. Saturn asks why they are here, and also notes like, ah, Captain Devon, I didn't think that, or Katarina Devon, rather, he's like, I didn't expect to see savages from level 9 submitting to another's leash. Uh, but Katarina's like, oh no, teach is special. And Saturn replies, as is his bloodline. And she's like, oh, you are aware of that? <laughs> so he's like, well, you people are always up to strange business. What are you really after? And Valnagar replies, the world. In as cool and collected a way as possible, he's not even looking at him. He just kind of gives him a little bit of a glance after he says that. And then before St. Saturn can attack, he teleports the two of them away. So uh, talk about maximizing your minutes. Yeah. Uh, that's uh, that like he has, you know, someone else do all the talking and then gets the cool line and teleports them away. Yeah. Uh, very cool stuff. These characters showed up for two pages. And this is the part I really want to talk about the most is like how crazy they make, they, they make a very strong impact in a very short span of time. And then there's just no faffing about afterwards. They're just gone. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, they do arrive still on Egghead, but just nowhere near what's going on. Katarina is like, hey, why are we still on the island? Could you have warped us further away? And Van Auger's like, I did only just get this double fruit, so I'm still yeah. trading it. Uh, but it's very fortuitous that they are still here because this is how they run into Caribou, the other. Yeah. <laughs> Jesus. This, this guy has been a living fucking Chekhov's gun for legitimately the entirety that we've been doing Entire this podcast. Yeah, he first showed up when we started covering because he started showing up after the time skip like he showed up when everyone reunited and we started yeah. talking about we started uh discussing you know one piece on the show and doing the show uh when they were like on their way to fishman island so mm. it's they very, like shoved him in a barrel and yeah just left him there so yeah. this motherfucker has just been around overhearing things for 15 years or so yeah uh, and he's like, hey, I love you guys. You guys are so cool. Please, I'm just a humble pirate. I've been so inspired to go out to sea by actually Blackbeard. I wanted to be one of Teach's goons, so please, I'm begging you, let me see him in person, which is bad news. As we said, this character has been around for a lot. He has heard a lot of things. He was around for all the stuff with Shirohoshi. Um, God, I, I know there's like a shit ton of things, but I, I completely blank for what this character has actually been present for. But he knows a lot of information. So it is... Mm -hmm. very very bad that he is here and going to give himself up um the crazy stuff is like what are the blackbeard pirates doing this has definitely been a group shrouded in so much mystery it seems possible that katarina's power works by touching people and then she can imitate them we know that's like part of the the nine-tailed fox but like what does being able to 
be one of the nine or one of the five elders like do for them yeah. like there's a lot of stuff going on that's dangerous potentially i mean she could turn into him and i guess command pacifistas and the seraphim maybe like i i don't know there's there's just a lot going on and it's very unnerving but this was one of those one piece chapters with like a thousand different scene changes but yeah it worked out really well yeah and if it goes along at a good pace uh despite the fact that it's kind of it's going between a bunch of stuff quickly um because we're setting up the you know like hey it's the climactic stretch where like things are happening people are running around while stuff blows up and the fights are breaking out it seems like we have maybe actually settled on like actual fight dynamics that are going to be coming into play here because of course we've got zoro paired up against luchi it seems like sanji is stepping up against borsellino uh and luffy would go up against saturn but we'll see if that sticks because uh, there's sh- still people getting kicked around and yeah. going into other people instead. I wouldn't be shocked if, like, right now it's supposed to be, like, a tag team match. It would be, I mean, I, as somebody who likes Sanji, it would be wild if Sanji squares up one-on-one against an admiral. <laughs> That'd be fucking, <laughs> like, it's. I think it's supposed to be a big deal. Zoro's going up against one of Luffy's old opponents, and he's eventually just going to school him. <laughs> but it would be fucking mind-blowing if Sanji fights an admiral. Probably won't beat him, but it's still, like, an insane thing to think about. Yeah. Um, yeah, and uh, I do like, you know, the, the play out the, between Body and Luffy and how, like, he doesn't understand why this is meaningful yeah. to her. He still all. doesn't know the, that shit at all. It, it means nothing to him. Um, I love the bit of Usopp getting to see the giants and, like, crying. He's like, oh, my masters. It's, you know, there's just a lot. Every scene was really, really good. Yep. Guys, that's going to do it for Weekly Manga Recap. Uh, Quinn. What was your favorite chapter? Me? Who's your MVP? Um, My favorite chapter I'm going to give to... I think I'm going to give it to Akane Banashi. I liked Akane Banashi. I really liked her channeling her, like, childhood sort of motivation. I just think that worked really, really well. Um, I should have... I don't think any chapter this week was, like, crazy holy shit. This is incredible. But I do think this was probably the best in, like, a bunch of, like... Good chapters. Mm. Uh, yeah, I think that you're right. Uh, I, I I will agree with that sentiment. Uh, it does not feel like, like you said, anything really stands out head and shoulders, but it's just really cool to see, like, hey, look, here's, you know, Kid Akane when she was first getting into Rakugo, and she's actually drawing on that now. It's, it's satisfying to see that because there's been all this stuff like, oh, I got to get this right and stuff, but it's like, she's just having fun, and that's nice. Um, and, uh, for my MVP, I'm going to go with beast because like I said, he was legit scary, uh, in in this, you know, the mere image of him holding Fuko by the face, uh, after he's fucked her up. Uh, Yeah, we didn't talk. He drags her back to the fight by just grabbing her by the face and holding her, which is maybe the most disrespectful way you can like move somebody's body around. And, uh, of course, the speech that he gives about how it's like, look, everything that God has done, everything, single rule, it's just to fuck with humanity because fuck you. Yeah. <laughs> Luck is to fuck over humanity because then you get reckless. Like, God, so evil. <laughs> it's, it's very, very cool. And I, I do like how they incorporated all that into it. Um, I am going to give my character of the week. I think Sanji is like a great answer for it. 
because I do think that was like a cool moment of him blocking an attack. Mm-hmm. We kind of noted he did that once already. Like it wasn't like touched upon, but there was like a two page spread where he kind of blocked one of those shots as well. Uh, and if I'm honest, I-, I mentioned it. They only show up for three pages, but the Blackbeard pirate showing up was like such an impactful thing. So I, I think I'm going to give it to Von Auger. Literally just for his line of like, what do you, he doesn't say anything else really, but just being asked, what do you guys want? And his response of the world in that way was so fucking cool. Yeah. Sometimes all you got to do is drop the one line and yeah. you look like a total badass. That's why they have wrestlers do it is because they know that like, hey, if you just say the one cool line and you say nothing else, then everyone thinks like he only says cool things. Yeah. And it fucking works. So I totally understand that. Sure. Yeah. Uh, the audience, by the way, picked Akane Banashi as the chapter of the week. And then Sora from Two on Ice, one character of the week, which makes sense. Totally get that. Yeah. All right, guys. That is going to oh, do it for Week Also tied with Sanji, I believe. I had to scroll a little bit further oh, along. Okay. 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 Uh, it'll be uh, Quinn's pick for recommendation uh, next. Uh but uh, we'll uh, have that for you uh, later, it seems oh, like. Oh, wait, no. I think wow. I actually... I did decide this. Hold on. I just need to oh, double-check. Yeah, okay. I just need to check something real quick. Okay. Well, I'll do the rest of this then. Uh, we record the show Wednesday evenings at around 7.30 to 8 Eastern time. Uh, and you can also check us out on our, our Discord. Uh, it'll be linked wherever this gets posted so you know exactly when the, sh- the stream goes live and when we start uh, getting things going. You can also check out weeklymagarecap.podbean.com for all the audio recordings of past episodes of the show. YouTube.com slash weeklymagarecap for video versions. We're also in podcast feeds like Spotify and iTunes and that kind of stuff. The video versions of the show feature an opening sequence by Mallow Jack Stillitson and Dale Cheddar and occasionally title cards by Steve Mann, whose artwork you can check out by just searching for Steve Mann Art. Uh, there is a Google Doc, which uh, contains all sorts of information associated with the show, as maintained by Ninja X3i. Thank you for helping us out with that and for also all the other little bits uh, that uh, help us with our bad organizational skills keep track of, basically. Yes. Uh if you would like to help support the show, we have a Patreon, patreon.com slash recap, where you can get bonus content. We have plans for uh, bonus recording not in the not-too-distant future, and uh, we recorded a couple of episodes that went up in January, uh, including a WMAR Lives and uh, a Buddy Chat. So you can check that kind of stuff out. Yeah, we will have a new episode, a tier list episode, actually coming out very, very soon. Mm-hmm. Uh, so stay tuned for that. Um... Nick, can I ask you what you would prefer to read right now? Uh, okay. Would sure. you would you prefer a, a semi long battle manga, uh, by an author we've we've touched on before, or would you like to read what I believe is sort of like a romantic comedy? Question mark. <laughs> <laughs> And I truly, I truly don't know exactly what the tone of this series is, but I've gotten kind of vibes. I, I, I'll take the box, Quinn. Let's let's go with this one that we don't know exactly what it is. All right. So I I originally picked this because it uh, became available on the Shonen Jump website, but I found out it's only actually the first volume is available on the Shonen Jump ah. website. However. 
I believe we still can read it all uh, through Manga Plus, which, uh, you know, as long as you uh, don't forget, like, you don't stop halfway through a chapter. Right, right, right. Uh, <laughs> that is why we are going to be discussing... I don't know how else to, like, lead up to a marriage toxin, Nick. All capital letters, all one word. Marriage toxin. Oh, dear. Uh, a hitman okay. and a marriage swindler set out on the world's most grueling battle for marriage. Okay. Yeah. Well, uh, I don't think I've ever heard this before. So, yeah, I guess this will be interesting. That'll be the next recommendation we take, guys. Uh, we'll see you all next week. Have a good one as we... Uncovered this mystery. Ooh. Yeah. Uh, we'll find out exactly what it's about. And then I'm like, Nick, it was neither romantic nor comedy. This is actually a uh, dark body horror. <laughs> I'm, I'm so sorry. <laughs> he has nothing to say. He's just mad at no, me. No, <laughs> don't. I'm not mad at you. <laughs> Can I get that? No. <laughs> I get that line clipped and recorded and <laughs> I just play it on I'm a, loop, a loop to myself at night sometimes. I'm not mad at you currently. <laughs> oh no! 